Hi, Fashion Hotline. Hi, after this long winter, my family needs a style pick-me-up for spring. Get to Old Navy. Old Navy? Yep, spring's first big sale is on now. Pick up fresh styles for the family from just $5, 10 and $15. With tees and tanks from 5 bucks, kids' shorts from 10 bucks, and jeans from 15 bucks. Whoa, styles from just 5 bucks? That's right. Plus, get 50% off swimwear and buy online and pick up in-store for free today. Now that's a real pick-me-up. Get to Old Navy and OldNavy.com now for spring styles from 5 10 and 15 bucks. About 318 to 326 in-stores. Select styles only. Excludes licensed and in-store clearance. Hey, and welcome to Juvenalia, the podcast where we talk to an interesting person about a piece of pop culture that was important to them when they were a child. I'm Alan McGuire. I'm Sarah Griffin. And I'm very excited about today's topic because it's a topic I would choose if I was a guest on Juvenalia. And we have a very special guest to talk to us us about it. It's Dave Rodden. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to yell at you about Terry Pratchett for the next 45 hours. (laughs) We have so much to cover. So (laughs) let's just start. What was the first Terry Pratchett you read? How old were you? Tell us the journey. So basically my first introduction to Pratchett came from, uh, I was a big library kid. I think I went to like four libraries at once when I was a kid. And uh, just because they were all so small, it wasn't because I was a massive reader. Like I remember like my local library was pretty much the size of this room and I read everything in it. Like I had to because there's something else. So I read like all the Sweet Valley High books. I read all the uh, Babysitter's Club books. I read a lot of Daniel Steele when I was a kid. Word. It's kind of like, what's a bodice? Um, <laughs> <laughs> I still don't know. But um one of the things that I got really, really into was tie-in fiction because mm. growing up in Cavan, I didn't know there was a difference. I'm, I'm not even sure that there is a difference between all the Dragonlance and Forgotten Realms books and all the like the D&D tie-in stuff and all the proper fantasy and proper literature and whatever. So I was just really drawn to these books because... As a kid, I was really, really anxious and I was really, really shy and I was picked on a lot. And a lot of people read fantasy to escape and go to mad, amazing worlds. And I read fantasy to go to somewhere where things made sense. Um, there's actually like a great line from one of your articles or one of your essays, oh. Griff, um, which like, you know, in a game, you're nice to people and they're nice to you. And that's oh, how, I love that. Yeah, That's how life works. That's not how, that's how games work. That's not how life works. Sturdy Valley. Yeah. If you give Elliot some shells, he's like, I will marry you. And you're like, thanks, Elliot. <laughs> he might be a wizard. Who knows? <laughs> he's a novelist. <laughs> <laughs> they the same thing. Anyway, no. Um, so I loved these tie-in I read lots of other fantasy but I love these tie-in books because in these books it's super rudimentary like you know elves are good uh, except for dark elves they're bad uh, problematic and um, uh, orcs are bad all of the orcs all of the orcs are bad and humans are kind of a mixed bag but if they're wearing black and there's spikes in their armour they are bad and there are nine jobs um, Grand, <laughs> easy you are a mage or you are a warrior or you are a bard or you are an innkeeper and that's it um, food just magically arrives and I love this because it was super simple and uh, the morality was very simple and like when I got onto the Forgotten Realms Dungeons and Dragons stuff morality came with like a sheet so like you'd like people were chaotic good or they were yeah chaotic good what's your alignment oh, chaotic, chaotic good. good what's your alignment uh, Alan I think I Chaotic neutral, I think. Oh, just coming in and wrecking the gaff. I That's think like, so. Oh, uh, sorry, not over. I'll help you. I'm sorry, not over. <laughs> is, is that what that one is? Pretty. Well, I don't know. There yeah. used to be really great breakdowns of lawful what they evil were. is. Uh, you, I knocked you down because you deserved a goodbye. Yeah, which is my alignment. <laughs> <laughs> now so. I'm gonna sue you for breaking my wall. Um, yeah, and they like they used to have like they. I can't remember any of them now, but they used to, especially in the games, they used to have like a little moral dilemma, and it was like you would. So like I think true neutral was if you were. 
a druid, if you're a true neutral druid, you would stop a bunch of gnolls. Gnolls? I don't know. A bunch of gnolls. A bunch of gnolls. Fucking gnoll coming in. No lemons. Uh, yeah, right. yeah, a bunch of gnolls destroying a village. But then when the gnolls were like endangered, you would protect them against the villagers. So that kind of oh. like back and forth. So I loved how simple all this was. And I think the first Pratchett book that I read, which I think was Sorcery, book five, okay. I was drawn to it because the spine looked the same as the, the spine looked the same as these other these other books. And I Judging really, books by their covers, Dave. I mean, that's how the saying goes. That is, right? yeah. yeah. You, you always got book it. by its cover. And then a, 20 years later, you're in deep and you have 80,000 of them and you're really happy because literature is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I read Sorcery and um, it's I was just completely sucked into it because um, so for like like backstory about the, so he, Pratchett has a bunch of different novels but his main series that he's known for is, is Discworld which are 41 novels um, all set in this world that is a a disc on the back of four elephants on the back of a giant turtle called Great Atun um, that swims through the multiverse because everything that can exist must exist somewhere basically and our god has no imagination and these gods do and I, sorcery is one of the first it's the fifth one and this is before he'd sort of like it's the the books really started off as sort of just a place where you could play around like there was mm. no real now it's got maps and there's got like you know a very clear now kind of we've geography. got maps oh, literally maps. in studio <laughs> Alan brought maps um, but at, at at the start it was kind of wild frontier fiction like you know he just come up with a thing and he'd throw it in there um, and sorcery is so chaotic and so crazy and so kind of all over the place. And I was really drawn into it, even though it was like not like the regimented uh, fiction I'd read before, because it was the the author and Pratchett, he speaks to you. He, he addresses you directly. Mm. And at a time where I was really trying to figure out what I thought about stuff and I couldn't. I, I couldn't align the way the world was and what I was reading and I couldn't understand why my personality, this like questioning, anxious, catastrophizing, but generally kind and nice like 10 year old, 11 year old was just not working with any other personality that I met. And suddenly it was like getting a kind uncle because um, Pratchett just showed up and said like, hey, let's let's talk about death. Let's, uh, let's talk about this. And like, the voice of it, the way that he just like, he actively addresses you, like he breaks all the rules for a writer. I mean, there's no, there's, there's a narrator, which is basically him, um, but you jump in and around through people's heads and occasionally he will just tell you a thing and it felt like, not like being taken outside and taught how to smoke by a cool uncle, but like suddenly I had a friend that I could talk to mm. about like, or he would tell me about stuff that I didn't know and would, his work is quite challenging, I think for someone of that age, like 10 or 11, um, but there are so many it works on a lot of different levels and I, whatever, but like, I hate saying that, but like, they start off just being, they're fun adventure stories, really. Um, and then you read them a little bit older and you start getting all of the dumb jokes and then you read them a little bit older and you get stuck in the philosophy and more of the dumb jokes. Like, yeah. I almost feel they're Joycean. I do feel they're Joycean and you can fight me Stand about it. Stand by it, <laughs> yeah. work! Yes! Because you'd almost want to read them with like, Google open beside you so you could look up all of the references oh. and stuff. So that was my first. I devoured Sorcery and I just read them. You can read them in no particular order. I mean, the first three, he's really finding his way. I don't think... I mean, Alan, what do you it think? Goes, they, color, it goes Colours of Magic and then it goes Morse. No. Colours of Magic, Light, light Fantastic, fantastic. Ah. Equal Rights. Yeah. I'm wrong. Or I <laughs> no, 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 no. But then Morse, then Sorcery. Okay. But yeah, but like Colour of Magic, Light Fantastic are... 
I, he's not expecting a series out of it then. He's, yeah. he's basically wandering around this world and every little bit of the world has new rules. Mm. And then Mort is... Equal Rights introduces witches and it kind of solidifies a little bit. And then Mort solidifies a bit more of the world. And then Sorcery kind of blows it all up because there's too much in there. Yeah. So mm. he just explodes the world, puts pumps like all of the magic into the world. And then after that, they're like, that was too much magic. And they make a decision, Psychic the characters magic. themselves, that they can't use that much magic ever again. That That's... It just corrupts everybody. So then the world calms down so you can tell more stories without worrying about that these huge, all-powerful wizards are everywhere. Because awesome. they've been basically confined to a university, kind of willingly, because they're, kind of, they're all old men, and they just want an easy life where they can use their magic to have big dinners. Yeah. Awesome. So sorcery explodes the world, and then the real Discworld kind of starts, I think, after sorcery. Mort, Mort is definitely the first proper Discworld novel, but yeah. Discworld starts with... Uh, what's six weird sisters yeah 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 they really they really solidify after that it felt like he was just kind of playing around and he would like no more than when you write your first novels and you're like kind of like oh I guess I'll just jam this scenario in there because I'm not really sure how it works and here's something I would have liked to have always done yeah. <laughs> let's yeah. go they're very Adamsy, and I mean that in like like I like Douglas, Douglas Adams yeah. yeah but there's a lot of there's a lot of random faffing around that doesn't necessarily tie back into the plot I mean that's the but joy that, of the doesn't that series enrich, doesn't that enrich everything though that you love these characters because you see them doing things that are not important to the plot and you love them externally of the plot so then when the plot kicks it's not just like here's a fucking plot it's an adventure you want to go on with those people but the plot often doesn't kick in a and, like, and I, ah, and I love fair. Douglas yeah, Adams yeah, no, ride or die ride or die restaurant at the end of the universe like let's but, go yeah but it's that kind of like let's go off and do a tangent on the civilization that is just kind of it's just kind of a joke basically and we mm, we'll realize mm. that whatever and that's great and it gets across the idea of what the Adams universe looks like and the smallness of humanity compared to that mm. um, but with Pratchett post sorcery and what he was kind of trying out in Mort is that like Pratchett wanders and he brings you around he does like silly footnotes and he tells you all these things but he's he's aiming at something and like some of his most amazing moments are the bits where you think he's spinning his wheels for half a book and then suddenly something like like I was going to save this till later but uh, one of the the, he's a book called The Truth which is the invention it's about the invention of the first newspaper and a lot of his later 25 books books in yeah, Jesus so, Mary. A, a lot of the books they go from being like he has strands. So I have made a list of the strands in case I forget one. Um, so there's the Rincewind books, which are really cowardly wizard on the run. Yeah, and not a coward who like does the right thing anyway. He is just a fundamental coward. But the universe just keeps accidentally putting him. He's like a like he's like the white ball in a in a snooker game. He accidentally just makes other things happen. Basically, there's the death books because death is a character with a seven foot tall skeleton. He speaks in all caps. Speaks yeah. in all caps. Yeah. And it's so kind. Like before before Sandman. I th- before sexy death. Yes, before mm. sexy like Ancona on her in her face. Although okay, so Color of Magic was published in. 1983. When was yeah. that? That's which is obviously pre. Oh, Sandman. Sandman is 80, is 90s. 87, I think. Isn't oh it? shit! Is it older than me? Is Sandman? Oh my god! Is it older? It's is 80s. Sandman 87 or 91? Yeah, exactly. He was, he was 26 when he wrote that. Because remember reading that, being like, "This is such a 26 year right. <laughs> Calm like, down. Also, so into it. Ride or die. Yeah. Let's go. Like one of my favorite. Because uh, I like weirdly reading about child prodigies calms me down because mm. I know I can't be one Yeah. so it's like okay well, like, does it because it fucking scares the shit out of me <laughs> but that's okay because we because we can't do that so anybody who you do feel worried about wasn't a child prodigy either and if they are oh, a child prodigy fair. then you're fucked anyway because you didn't write right again <laughs> one of my favourite fucked anyway it's too fu- late buddy <laughs> one of my favourite Mozart when he was like at the height of his career was asked this, this dad had brought his kid along 89 
89. Oh, yeah, that's yeah. all right. It's a year younger than I am. Sandman, that is published in 1989. March, uh, the January 1989 to March 1996. Because I always forget it was it was issues. Like it was it was a comic book every week, whatever. Maybe that would have been... I've got a my mum got me one for like a a box of like old stuff and I've never opened it. Oh, don't! And I think she's a bit sad that I haven't oh. opened. She's like, but why wouldn't you read it? And I'm like, yeah. But um, Mozart was asked. Um, this guy brought his kid along. He's like, oh, my kid's twelve and he's just written his first first uh, libretto. And like, you know, do you have any advice for him? And Mozart was like, well, I wrote my first one when I was seven. I didn't have to. I didn't have to ask anybody for advice. And it's like, you're a jerk, Mozart. But also, that's kind of great. <laughs> yeah. Um, but this is why I brought notes, because I'm really rambly. So, uh, so, so there was the death series. Yeah. Death series. All death caps, yay, is kind sex, of non-sexy death. That your granddad who wants to take an interest in your life, but is still very confused by you. Yes. Oh. That's death. Oh, and he has okay. a horse called Binky. Oh, yeah. that's great. He yeah. tried the horse. Or- he tried the horse made of like, like he tried a horse a skeletal horse, but bits kept falling off. Oh. And the horse made of fire just kept setting the stable on fire. So Binky. Binky's just a big fucking horse yeah um, sold yeah. <laughs> fully sold yeah. Uh, well, you, yeah you've read Mort so like when Mort, years like, so, ago the details mm. are gone I remember that he was that Mort was like this sort of uh, a bit like um, in the sword and the stone uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah Wirt was sort of or Wirt was just this sort of like sad little assistant dude that's my primary m- memory of yeah, Mort yeah, 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 right. I don't I'm, and all I'm going to turn away from the mic for a second and blow my nose because yeah. I am ill that's, and I just snap my fingers so I'm going to get I'm sorry um, <laughs> unless, unless that's your ASMR in which case you're welcome <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I that's my primary memory of it is the yeah. all caps and the sad boy like in Disney Sword in the Stone so yeah. I have I am I am learning at this juncture. I, I have I have very, very tertiary knowledge of it. I'm leading away from the mic again. I have very <laughs> vague outsider knowledge uh, of it. But the death series but death is this has 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 come out of the books and become this sort of pop culture character as well in a way like everyone knows the death speaks in all caps don't mm. they yeah like he's so. a, that's the whole thing I, um, I find it very hard to judge what the general public's knowledge of Terry Pratchett is because it was my only my thing for so long yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. I was very surprised to find all of it in other bookshops outside of Waterford when I moved to Cork and so I was like oh other people <laughs> read Terry Pratchett is that the best feeling where you feel like it belongs yeah. to you because I never even took part in like the news groups or websites around. it was always just the books it was a yeah. big pre-internet like there were conventions mm. and things wow. like that and stuff and like but yeah no I always especially because the covers of the ones that I read were the old Josh Kirby covers mm. which are me too yeah. are these the ones sitting in front of me at this yes, moment they are, yeah. how many books are sitting in front of me gentlemen One, two, one, three, two, three, four, four, five, five, six, seven, seven, eight, nine. Nine. I have a busy Christmas yes <laughs> <laughs> I'm so excited so uh, Death the Death series there was these are streams Death kindly doesn't kill anybody that's mm-hmm. not his job but he is there when you die he's there when everybody dies and he used to make the effort and show up as like whatever your original dem- religion demanded so like you know big scarab beetle or whatever but now he just sticks with the everyone gets a good agricultural metaphor so he shows uh, up on the side, side. Mm. then there's the witches books which are um, Esmeral- Esmeralda Weatherwax um, who is like it's the crone mother maiden thing although he really dissects that and that's Ooh. something which I'd like to talk about in regards Pratchett and feminism later um, I have a schedule in my head which, is, which I'm not going to keep to I am here for it <laughs> yeah. um, and it's a story of three witches in uh, a rural place called Lanker who deal with they're the, they're the Shakespearean um, yeah. ones Macbeth so the witches, first yeah. yeah the first ones well the first one's Equal Rights which is part of the first three and I read it once and I didn't really it's very unformed, and I, I I I enjoyed it, but it's not it's not what I consider no. like real Pratchett to me anyway. Sorry, listeners. The witches um, are actually all about stories. Like so, we're sisters is Shakespeare, which the broad is fairy tales. Mm. Masquerade is opera. Yeah. Then what else is there? Lord's 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 Lord's
Um, I, I read it as Midsummer Night's Dream because it's oh, yeah. the, the witches and or the 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 elves and, and fairies the, and yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and then and there's a play in the middle of it and mm. stuff and then after that there's Carpe Juggalum which is vampires Carpe Juggalum what a good name for a book Go yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, that's really that's a really good name uh, and then after Carpe Juggalum there was the next witches book are we into the Tiffany Aching books then or is there another Probably, I haven't read those ones so I don't know. They're, they're, the books. they're, they're oh. his middle grade. So would these, because you read these as children, as, mm. uh, as children, I say both of you as children, not yeah. just one person who has many children and then they all stand on top of each other to become an adult. Um, <laughs> you wouldn't class these as children's books under any circumstances. Are they weird books that you find as a child and you're like, I can do this? Yeah. All, all the, the, I suppose the leads, all the characters are adults, Grown-ups. I suppose. So. Yeah. Not all. Well, I mean, some of them. So, like, so, like in Small Gods, which is um, his sort of like right one here. of his many like like in depth kind of things into religion. Well, I guess brought the the main character is sort of oh, he's like he, seventeen. Is he? he starts off as a kid, but he could yeah, yeah. You could read them as I mean, I think you could read them if you were like a a, a confident reader as a twelve year old, but you'd miss out on yeah. an awful lot of the stuff. Like they are, excuse me, they are they're an advanced read in terms of themes and in terms of what they talk about, but they're also like really hilarious silly jokes and mm. and um the fundamentally a lot of the books are, are they, they are satires i mean they are they are meant to be very very funny um but like and i think you'd still get a lot out of them the adventures in them but i i think you'd need to be like a teenager or older yeah i think i read i read adams when i was that age when yeah. i was 10 which i was a little i listened to the radio shows uh mm. on cassette and then i read the books mm. and that's absolutely not children's that's not for children. No, I didn't read them until I was in college. But so, yeah. I, they made me laugh and they were adventure stories and sometimes that's enough. Yeah. Do you know? And I think, again, it's the mark of a great novel that a child can love it and read it regardless yeah. of whether or not it's for them. And there isn't like, I mean, there's lots of, I mean, there are jokes in this I'm still getting now. Mm. Um, oh, whatever that says about me, I don't know. Um, <laughs> and they don't, there's no like overt, there are a couple of, there's no sex scenes in the books. There are allusions to sex and there's lots of like ribald jokes like um, Nanny Og who's the mother figure in the Maiden Mother Crone thing. Her favourite dish to make for people is carrot and oyster pie. Mm. Carrots you can see in the dark and oysters so you're something to look at. That's pretty good. There's oh, a lot, of, really good. There's like a lot of like dirty, there's a lot of silly dirty jokes. Yeah. Um, but it's all very sort of like I've never seen a Carry On film, but it's sort of like it wouldn't. Oh my be god! As... Carry On Terry Pratchett, sign me the yeah, fuck that's up. Ba- that's I've seen them all. What Nanny Og is is a Carry On character. Yeah, a Carry awesome. On witch. Yeah, yeah. I, the only real sex scene that's even alluded to that I can think of is in Men at Arms. Yes, and it's done Have I got this so one here? well. Can I read it aloud? Uh, oh, we can okay. try find it. <gasps> I was trying to find because he doesn't use. I chapters. was only giving out about people reading sex scenes yeah. out loud, and here I am. You know, all it is is just he says, "She stepped towards the bed, the springs, like moved and Link. released, or went clink, wasn't it? That's it. Yeah, the went. You both it. remember. And that's you it. both yeah. remember it. That means it was important. Yeah, that means it was good. I read that book eight, nine times easily. That's fabulous. I read all of them. Yeah. You see, that yeah. can be enough. Do you know what I mean? Like that's storytelling. Mm. Do you know? Like that's how you do it. These are, and that's so cute that you both remember. Oh my god! I like. I wouldn't remember. I was worried coming into this that like I wouldn't remember stuff, but like I remember so back. many great swathes of lines, and maybe not mm. as exactly as perfectly Sorry. as he put them. But like one of the greatest strengths of Pratchett's writing is he doesn't. His writing is beautiful, but it's it's so conversational. Mm. Like it's not like um, he. When you read them, you think they're really madcap, especially in terms of like the sentence structure and stuff, because he jumps around with POVs and things like that. But they're so tightly controlled and they're written in such a, a conversational tone that the writing is gorgeous, but you never feel talked down to or That's and you key. remember how it's said because it's like you, it's like your best friend would tell you. You know, like there are certain like like I I 
uh, my mate Graham, who our mate Graham, who we do a podcast with, is like you should be able to open a book in any line and find a gem. So like, mm. uh, let me see. Scans page. <laughs> Give me a second. Um, some of the things that come up through the floor at Unseen University don't even have a head, said Carrot. Ook, or they have hundreds. Why are we digging down there? We weren't digging down, we were digging up. Um, oh. I'm trying to find like a... Now I've ruined it because I'm talking about this. <laughs> we should need to cut all this out. Um, but uh, but yeah, like he just... And he talks about really big... This is why I worry about it being for... No, because like I think you should be exposed to stuff like this as as a young person because think it does, harder. Yeah, it t- it talks about about difficult and dark and dangerous things, and I think the thing that characterizes Pratchett for me is that he's very angry about a lot of stuff. Like Neil Gaiman wrote an article after his, I think it was after his death, where he was like, people always remember Terry as this like fun and jokey kind of character, but he was so angry, mm. and not just angry at like at, at at the illness that he suffered and 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 later events, whatever. But if you read the books, there's this huge thread of anger at systems and systems that crush people and systems that use people and how these systems keep coming up again and again. So like he's a line about revolutions where he's like, you shouldn't put your faith in revolutions because they come back around again. That's why they're called revolutions. And like, yeah, just this very simple, like he's mad at everybody for being useless and he wants people to be better. It's not that he proclaims that he has a better way of doing things, but it's just constantly being like, you need to, one of the, things that really got into my head when I was that young was that um, so Granny Weatherwax in the in the witches books is 70s probably it's not really probably. yeah it's late 60s 70s I would say yeah yeah she's so when t- we meet her, yeah. tall and cadaverous and she's the scariest witch in the village and <laughs> goals and people are slightly afraid to go to her for help which means when they really need help they go to her and she's very cold and very calm and very very powerful you never see this magic but like there's a point where she's um I think she's challenged to a duel or she's whatever but she raises a hand and all the birds in the trees stop singing like she is like goals yeah <laughs> but her you find it in Witches Abroad that her um, the great tragedy of, of Esmer Weatherwax's life is is that her sister went off and became a bad witch I don't think she's a bad witch she thinks oh, she's a good witch we never do yeah <laughs> but uh, at the end when they confront each other Esmeralda's like I'm so mad at you because I had to be the good witch when you left and it makes me so mad because once you know the rules of the world, you can't be a bad witch. Once you know what your actions do and once you know how you affect people, you can't be bad. Once you know the rules, you have to help people. And he's very mad at people who know the rules, who have power, but don't do anything about it and don't help people. And and it's really, and, it, and it creeps in everywhere. Like when I was thinking about it and like reading up on, 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 on this stuff, I was amazed at how many instances, once I realised that about his work, the amount of instances that crop up. So in Reaperman, when he, um, death quits, he goes off and he becomes a, a farm guy called Bill Dore. Um, <laughs> and when he quits, all, every living creature gets a death. So the death of rats pops up, his tiny rat, it goes squeak. Um, oh. There's the death of turtles, which is just an empty turtle shell. Oh. Uh, there's the death of uh, trees, which is just a chopping sound, going to the woods. And he realises this other death is going to come for him. Oh, shit. And so he goes out into a... And it's amazing, so little happens in so many of his books. Mm. Like, not a whole lot happens. In, there's, a, there's a side plot with Reaper Man, um, because people stop dying, basically. But like a lot of the book is just death. Sharp, sharpening his scythe and like he sharpens it on like um, a whetstone and then he starts using cobwebs and he starts sharpening on, be- on on beams of light and then when death shows when the new death shows up is this curl of smoke and a black hood and it's wearing a crown and death is like I never wore a crown like 
he's so he's so into dismantling systems and looking at the people in power and like I really like how his books are very like working class and that all very few of the characters are rich like Game of Thrones is all nobility and in this it's all people who work people who work in shops mm. people who like tanners and 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 cops and and farmers and things like that and I really like that because it's it's rare mm. they're humanized so much um he offers the best economic theory ever about why the rich stay rich and the poor stay poor it's actually stayed with me I think this is like a big like formative passage of like my politics is yeah. Sam Vimes Boots Theory yeah. which you should explain because you'll do much better uh, I don't know about that um, so Sam Vimes is this. Is, so he has a, a series called The Night's Watch which are basically I thought that was the Game of Thrones I genuinely when people talk about The Night's Watch are they talking about Game of Thrones or are they talking about this they are the, the Night Watch but it's lifted is, yeah. Oh, night, yeah. well, they, would they be called are they still the Night's Watch later on or are they the City Watch they're just the Watch aren't they yeah, I think they're just yes, yeah. the, the Watch, watch sounds box. better yeah, yeah. Um, so the first one is Guards Guards uh, and then uh, with the main character uh, Vimes is an alcoholic and it was my first experience of reading about alcoholism mm, actually, yeah me too terrified me because mm. he's just it's not like a big dramatic thing he's just useless and boneless and just lies around and can't really do anything and is formlessly angry about certain stuff he can't connect any of the thoughts together Oof. oh there's actually something about that that's uh, where they describe he describes Vimes as um, always being two drinks below sober he's nerd yeah K-N-U-R-D born and two drinks below normal yeah and that's how I feel in those situations where it's like when I'm like two drinks in I'm like oh this is how normal people talk to each other it's how I yeah. feel now that's what that is my mind's so on now the floor so now that I know that what that is I can go so that's why you're not going to drink much ever you yeah. know what do we always say about being a two drink wonder yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh my Two drinks to be sober. Mm. Oh my god! And that's we haven't even got to the boots theory. That's the same book. Oh my god! Yeah, yeah. Keep and talking. Keep talking. So and Vimes is this like I guess he sort of started off as sort of like Dirty Harry esque character. He's the yeah. guy who speaks truth to power and is like the um, new illustrations of were Clint Eastwood basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and the illustrations connected to practice work are gorgeous. Fucking gorgeous. Mm. Um, is it? Josh Kirby and then it was Paul Kidby. I think went and did the yeah. more the later stuff, the more realistic um, stuff. Which like yeah. have a dignity that that the the Josh Kirby stuff kind of doesn't, but I kind of like that it's so it's very old Conan style. It's like a parody of the old uh, Robert Howard Conan uh, beefy hero with with fuse. Oh and so, yeah, I don't know what yeah, fuse yeah. are, but Conan <laughs> had loads of them coming out of his face. L straps around the biceps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, made of muscle and. Um, so Vimes is this sort of Dirty Harry esque um, uh, investigates different things. So in Men at Arms, it's is that. Yeah, Men at Arms, uh, it's the invention of the first gun, the GON, which is a fundamentally evil instrument because everything, every other gone, weapon... G-O-N-E. G-O-N-E. Holy so shit. They th- but it sounds like GON, right? They yeah. think, they see a sign for it, they think that they put a sign over something that's gone and someone's actually stolen a gun from a museum but they don't know what it is. They just see a sign saying GON. It's they're very... Like, they're like, whatever's there is gone. Whoa. It's very so important to th- note about Pratchett's work is that his jokes are so stupid. <laughs> but isn't there something very sad when, about when that's revealed, a gun Yeah. As well. For example. That's what they um, do. They go, stop, you got to tell me the economic theory. No, you no, set no, me so up. Let me do this boots. first. Um, and everyone everyone at home or wherever you are listening to this podcast, does anyone In the shower, home? you know, uh, in the car. Yeah, yeah. Um, walking uh, in the street. I want you to take out your phone. And I, is it weird to talk to people directly no, in the podcast? I'm doing a practice. I want you to take out your phone and I want you to go into like the message thing or whatever and I want you to write out the following letters. Um, so it's D J E L I B E Y B 
I. This is, he wrote a book called Pyramids, which sort of satirizes Egypt and the worship of gods and things like that. And this is the name of the country. Um, the river that it's, um, the literal translation of the name is Child of the Gel River. I want you to say the word out loud. The gel baby! Are Jelly you baby. serious? <laughs> <laughs> yep, this is what we're dealing with. But then that's the same book that also, where he visits like, <laughs> parodies of ancient Greece and Rome and you learn loads about ancient Greek and Roman philosophy yeah. through all these characters. I'm still angry about that. I'm sorry, yeah. guys. There was that the economic theory that we were getting to? No, because I'm still mad. I'm mad This is why I made notes. Um, <laughs> uh, so, yes, it, the economic theory of Boots is Vimes ends up marrying a noblewoman uh, who is a dragon. She raises dragons um, which, which people sort of use as like, um, as like sort of like Toy dogs, whatever they cigarette lighters, cigarette and cigarette lighters mm. and things like that, and you have to be very careful uh, with them because they explode all the time. And um, suddenly, for the first time in his life, he has money, and she buys him these like expensive boots to wear, like not like super expensive because he's kind of against that, but like they're thirty dollars, thirty dollar boots, and he feels really weird about them because he first of all he can't feel the 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 cobbles of the city underneath his feet and that really oh. disconcerts him. But also, it he realises that the reason the rich stay rich is because they can spend 30 euro on a pair of boots which will last them 10 years. Vimes has been buying $1 boots that fall apart constantly, which means over the same amount of time he is spending far more because that's all he can afford. It's easier for the rich to stay rich because it doesn't take as much money to stay rich as it does to stay being poor. Basically. Oh my God. So yeah, then when I got to like adulthood and I was reading like people talking about poverty and like went to this like when poor people just buy giant sacks of rice and like because they can't. It's the Vimes theory. You can't just buy, spend your entire food like your monthly food budget on a sack of rice. You, you have, have a, a much more feed. noble realisation of it than I do because yeah. I'm just thinking about Unfussy and the capsule wardrobe. <laughs> which are these fabulous bloggers who are like it's fine just buy this $190 pair of knickers and then you'll never need to buy any more knickers in mm-hmm. your future and you're like no that's not how this works and she's like no it's fine honestly if you just own two pairs of $900 jeans then you'll never need to buy jeans again and I'm like Brenda I can't <laughs> stop <laughs> making me feel Brenda? bad no 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 I'm just yeah. giving her yeah. a name um, and it's, it's that thing where the people who are already wealthy can afford to sustain themselves yeah. because they can spend 90 euro on a pair of pants or, or 200 euro on a pair of jeans and you just I can't do that yeah and whoa like Sib- okay. Sybil, Sybil Rankin his wife who is lovely dresses down all the time just like yeah. dresses because she, she deals with dragons so it's like you know big leather apron mm. and, and she lives in like two rooms of her giant house um, but they can do that and, and the richer you get the poorer you look basically in this and like it really it, it was it just solidified for me that like the haves and have nots and and how systems um, keep people and like like, conspicuous yeah, he's, he's, consumption and, and how you need to, you can look you can look poor inverted commas if you have a, enough money to do so yeah mm. Because they have that comfort. Like one of the things he talks about is how so all the rich people he meets through um, through Sybil uh, all have dirty faces because they're out in the garden pottering around and all that kind of stuff and um, they live in like two rooms every, every other room in their house is covered in dust and they live in like two or three rooms. He's like if you went to is it Sackville Lane that, is ma- that he would grow yeah. up in? When you go to Sackville Lane everything gleamed. Even the cockroaches gleamed because that was all they had. All they had all his mom had all his family had growing up was you had a clean house. You might not have anything in the house or no but food for your clean. kids, but it was a clean oh house. And like just that, that was my first introduction to like, like, I mean, I grew up like, 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 I guess middle class in, in, in like a tiny village and whatever. But I was like, oh, that makes 
that makes sense. Things. That kind of like that pride, that fierce, terrible, sad pride that you have um, when you have less than when somebody comes. Yeah, I thought that was really. And he does this for so many different things. Like he'll break down like in Small Gods, it's religion. And uh, and I read it and I was like, oh, this is a fun story. And it's a little bit like sacrilegious. I remember like, getting caught reading because sorcery had a really, the cover is quite bawdy and that makes me a little bit uncomfortable now. Do I have it? Uh, yeah, no. In no. this beautiful tower of books. Some of his covers are like, some of his covers are like, I mean, I guess sorcery and moving pictures are too. I brought moving pictures to school when I was in fifth class. Yes. <laughs> that happened to me as well. That has a very bawdy cover. Yeah. Yeah, that got me a lot of attention, which I didn't want as a, a very sm- shy child reading. Are Terry you Pratchett reading books. porn? And it's yeah. like, I am reading Terry Pratt. And then yeah. but you haven't even get, don't even get to explain yourself. Um, <laughs> Declan, if you don't mind, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I am reading Terry Pratchett. Yes. Do you not know? How dare you? <laughs> um, but uh, in in Small Gods, uh, he talks about religion and he brings in the idea. And I don't think it, I don't know if it's a new idea or not. Um, and a lot of his stuff isn't like I. There's a this is me rambling again. There's a quote from. Um, the the truth can run or the, a lie can run around its world before the truth can get its boots on is not a Terry Pratchett quote. It's oh, a Mark it? Twain quote, apparently. Oh, okay. Um, so and a lot of his books are like a grab bag of different influences and different jokes. And he's got one called Soul Music, which is about rock and rock and roll. And there are so many jokes that I'm only getting now after years of listening to rock. Where like there's a band called The Whom. Um, oh. There was a, which, which only lasted half an hour, but it's a very grammatical half hour. Um, <laughs> or like he talks about a musical that this guy had this idea to write called um, by this guy called Les, who was really miserable the whole time. Oh. And I was like, oh, wait a sec. Dad jokes, the novel. So, mm. so dad jokey. But in Small Gods, um, he talks about basically this god um, who is this huge sort of like Catholic-esque um, structure built around him comes down to like go around, be a bull or a swan or something, you know, like like chase people. And when he arrives and he's a turtle, oh. little one-eyed turtle, oh. and he's like, why is this Why is this happening? And it turns out nobody believes him anymore. They just believe in the ritual. So when you go to Mass, imagine, like, <laughs> if you go to Mass, imagine yourself, you know, doing the Hail Mary. Are you thinking about God or are you doing the words? And everyone's just doing the words. And like, he's like, sometimes a structure can build up around a God like a hermit crab, so big that it crushes the God beneath it. Holy shit. And humans want gods, but gods need humans. That's the, like an American God. That's how that works. Yeah, it's yeah, a real yeah. like, um, and that was a real... You need belief and you need sacrifice and you need prayer. Yeah. And like, he, Pratchett, like, imagined gods as these tiny sprite-esque things living in the desert because the desert's so big like it's so open and big that your head opens up as well that's why all good things and all philosophers and maths and stuff comes from the desert Um, but imagine a shepherd uh, losing a sheep and he knows that if he doesn't get that sheep back his family are going to die over the winter so he goes out looking and some little quirk of thought makes him stop at a particular crossroads and that's when he hears a meh and he goes and he finds the sheep and to say thank you for his family being saved, that random little quirk of thought, he puts one stone on top of the other there. And every time he walks by it, he's like, there's that stone that saved me. And his, his family do it and his kids do it and more of them do it. And they try and maybe act in a way that might bring that that spirit to give them more hype, more help and more advice. And one stone goes on top of the other. And for some gods, the sky's the limit. And for some, not even that. And it's such a pity by an accident of microgeography that it wasn't a goat. Because... Sheep are stupid and need to be driven and goats are smart and need to be led. That's pretty much word perfect. Yeah, I, <laughs> I really like Terry Pratchett. Just picking my job off the table. Was, was my favourite one for years, I think. It's very good. Yeah, especially my baby atheist years, the whole way through that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, this is, this, oh, I'm agnostic. This Am is, I going to hate this? This is my text. No, no, no. Because no, no. it is, gods are real in it. Okay. And they're real, but they need people. Yeah. They're... I like that as a theory. Power, like, belief is their 
food like and air and they have yeah. a responsibility to us as much as we have a responsibility to them I like that like it's not about um, there's a line that I like um, read earlier when he was talking about it being like um, like you, all you have are your decisions like afterwards gods might give you marks for them but at the end of the day you're here and you're making choices and like yeah it's very he's not because I worried about that with the witches um, uh, because their magic is very much they can do magic but their magic is very much about what they call headology, like psychology. And it's very much about like, um, like making people think, the, not making people think the, think the right way, but dismantling. He's very into critical thinking mm. as opposed to actively shitting on belief systems or even like he's harsh on religion, but he's mostly harsh on the fact that it's, it's funny how God's don't tell you exactly what they want, leaving you to fill the gap by saying, oh, they want me to have eight dinners and a big hat, you know? Of course so, they do. Mm. So right. he's very, very tough on that kind of stuff. And like small gods, because small god, like the, the, the turtle um, ends up having to, ha- or the tortoise ends up having to hang out with the one believer who's a 17-year-old called Brother. And the two of them just have to hang out together. And it's just, yeah, it's just, he's just really, really, and it's it sounds preachy. And he is, I think he is preachy about a lot he of stuff. He has this really hard-headed common sense. Yeah. I think. I, f- I found what, I learned a lot of common sense from him. And this even the way, the one thing that keeps coming to my head that I want to make sure I got into this was uh, when someone asked Death what's the sound of one hand clapping and that says CL. The other hand does the AP. Oh. That's it. And you're like, yeah. he just sees things in this really slightly off but completely I'm commonsensical I'm way. You're doing it. You're doing it. <laughs> <laughs> is that working for ASMR? <laughs> and I think one of the things I really like about him is he makes fun of a lot of stuff and he's angry at a lot of stuff and mm. he dismantles a lot of stuff. But he never, he's never cruel. And I'm real into like, I think you can be, and maybe I, I probably don't know how I succeeded it, um, but I think you can dislike something and you can dismantle it and you can take things apart and you can like ask it to be better without being cruel about it. Yeah. Like it, maybe it comes from teaching. Like my dad's a teacher and he would like, calm down like the hammer of God on you if you were like being an ass but the next five minutes later, he'd be like helping you with your project and he'd just forget about it. Yeah. And it's that thing. And he'd never make a personal, I, like there is a special section of hell reserved. For, for teachers who make personal remarks. Why oh my God. You, like the, you mightn't think it, but a kid is going to keep that in his head and it's either going to validate what they're, what they think of the world or it's going to ruin them. Like you have so much power when you're hanging around young people mm. and you like, like I always ask, whenever I do gigs, I always ask kids, uh, who here is a book person? And half them put up their hand. Who is not a book person? Hands up who's been told they're not a book person. And the kids keep up their hands. And I'm like, who is allowed to do that? Like my brother's got a six pack. And everyone's like, oh, he's not a book kid. And no one's ever given him a book. And people give me books all the time because they have glasses. And it's like, That's everyone can be works. a story kid. And he's very yeah. into, he's very into that. And like, um, yeah, he's very egalitarian, basically, about like pretty much about everything. He's just like, just think about things, use common sense, be kind to people. Um, I had a thing that I was going to talk about and I've, oh, it was the, oh, it was the giving out about, for my dad, what was I saying? Uh, zip back, the back the tape. Yeah. Uh, you were talking about uh, teachers being assholes. Teachers being assholes. He's ang- oh yeah, this is the thing. He always gives even the villains he always gives them a chance like one of the great things about when it, whenever a main character or even like it's just a side character even just for a joke when a character dies everything fades away except a sky of black stars and a, and a desert of black sand death is there 
and he has a bit of a conversation with you and he hasn't killed you or anything and there's no malice or no like fear uh, generally fear tends to what was his line fear tends to fade away when you're no longer in the body that has the glands yeah so like so it's not like you're not just getting fear squirted into you or whatever so like you're so like people are just kind of like a little bit confused oh. and they have a moment where they can think about things and a moment where they can um, oh shit because fear comes from glands mm. yeah, yeah 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 fear is a chemical Wow. Uh, and he and he'll give them a chance to like like in Small Gods the the leader or the the the, the villain is this guy called Vorbis who's uh, an inquisitor and is awful. An and inquisitor. Mm. Okay, what can you tell me what an inquisitor is? Because I want to tell you where I heard that before. Okay, he is like basically the god police. They're the guys who burn oh you with a stake for being like Red Dwarf fully lifted that. But like it's head torturer is essentially what it is. Yeah, because yeah. isn't he isn't he called an exquisitor? Yes, um, which is mm. a different definition, which. Um, so yeah he's this like uh, high priest torturer he's described as and this is another example of like Pratchett like he like I resent the term literary fiction because all fiction is literary and labels are for jam makers but like there's nothing more literary I think than a than a description we just go oh yeah that's exactly what like um, like I always think of uh, a line made by Walking by Sarah Baum where she's where the main character is talking about um Losing somebody and she just like lies down on the floor. Oh, the and carpet! She, yeah, I know that bit. Yeah, yeah. I and feel like anyone move. who's read that book is like, oh, it's the carpet's fault. Yeah, yeah. Everything is the carpet's fault. She lies yeah. down on the carpet and her phone rings and she's like, oh, that was it's Karen. Uh, yeah, I think it was Karen. She's like, you know, uh, Karen was ringing me and I knew she was going to ask, was I okay? But I wasn't okay, so I didn't answer it. Like, I don't think you need to be like, oh, this guy was like turmeric breaking. Blah, blah, blah. Um, when you can just be like, it was this. And Vorbis is described as the kind of person you never ask what they're thinking about in case they turn around very slowly and say you whoa <laughs> like, that's real talk yeah, yeah, yeah. that is real talk um, that's carpet talk that's, that's carpet that's, talk yeah you can be blunt and beautiful at the same time yeah, I like feel. what else yeah. what else do you need and um, uh, so Vorbis at the end um, uh, dies he dies at the end uh, spoiler and uh, book's been out 20 years whatever and I think um, it definitely passes a sell by date if you've got a couple of years on it you're like yeah, oh, yeah. it's fine um, but when, it, when he fades away into this like dark sand landscape uh, death is just there and uh, Vorbis is like what, and Vorbis who spent his entire career torturing people and using people and asking stuff is like well what happens now and it's like you walk and it's like to what and he's like to whatever you have waiting for you and Vorbis is like but is there not going to be somebody here? And he's like, you know, and Dad is like, you know the expression hell as other people? He's like, well, yes, of course. He's like, you will soon learn that that is wrong. And brother, the um, the the naive little neophyte who, who's the only person who believed ends up being the high seraph or pope or whatever. And when he dies, he goes into the desert and Vorbis is still there. And brother leans down, picks him up and helps him walk. I oh, fuck this now. People, people get. I hear, I hear, lads. People yeah. get like he's 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 only ever really unkind to the people who don't deserve kindness or refuse kindness. I think, mm. um, like there's so many there's so many villains who get that even that last little moment where they're almost even like um like Felmish in in Weird Sisters who like. Uh, thinks he's a ghost for most of the book and when he actually dies he's like oh wait can I run around and run through walls and like yeah yeah and he's like oh now you're talking and it's like oh at least he's weirdly happy um, and the big one is as um, Reg Shu like in Nightwatch I've just sorry I've just opened the page 354 355 small gods I've just opened it and you got it word for word <laughs> you literally got it word for word in time you will learn that that is wrong sorry yeah mind um, blown sorry continue uh, but but yes, yeah, so in in Night Watch, in Night Watch, uh, one of his later books, it's one of the the, the guards' books. 
Um, there's a character all in, in that series called Reg Shu who is an activist. I'm not really sure. Like, he's an activist for a bunch of different stuff. He just likes being an activist. Mm. Uh, and he's really annoying. And he puts flyers into everyone's hands. He's that person who doesn't talk about anything except what he's protesting and he's a zombie so what he's currently protesting is like rights of the unliving and he's like you know we don't like the term zombie blah 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 blah. and it's played for jokes a lot there's elements of slight sadness in it like he look like he's there like you know trying to pick up his ear because it fell off and stuff like this and he's yeah. so earnest that you he's been a minor character for about 10 12 books by then yeah by the time you get to my watch like he's, he's everywhere. Kind of just always just there with a flyer or something. Like there's a point where somebody, um, I think it's in Reaper Man where a character dies and goes to uh, sort of a support group for dead people and there's um, there's a banshee um, and then there's, uh, who's, who's, too, who's too nervous to scream? So just pushes a note on your door saying, you're dead. Um, <laughs> and then there's uh, Mr. and Mrs. Winkling and uh, Mr. Winkling is a vampire and Mrs. Winkling is not a vampire but is really trying and she's got like frizzy red hair and like as someone who's frizzy red hair whatever and is like really really flush and I'm like no we're like we drink from the blood of the dead and they're like okay cool Mrs. Winkling and she's like oh, I want cookies for people I'm like, All right. um, but Reg he's, con- he's constantly he's not in the mean way but he's the butt of a lot of jokes um, and then in Nightwatch uh, Vimes goes back in time accidentally and ends up sort of being a mentor to himself uh, in a big it's, it's like, it's like it's, I haven't seen Lemay's, but it's kind of Lemay's. There's barricades. That's there's all barricades. I know. Barricades, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And there's a revolution. Are there any empty chairs and empty tables? Anything like that? No. There's no. I've only read Nightwatch once, but that I was very when poor. I, when I joke. finished it, <laughs> no, I got it. Don't worry. Thanks, Alan. When I finished it, I was like, "That's one of the best books I've ever read." Yeah. I've never read it again because I felt it's it's a really super emotional one. Yeah, and it's the only time travel book as well. It feels oh. very much like a yeah. labour of love and the yeah. one conversation that I had with Terry Pratchett he was like um, Carcer Were you just says, waiting to drop that fact? Wait, Were you just waiting? I asked him a question at a, at a thing and it's the only time I've ever spoken to him and um, yeah he I just asked him what his, I, like I've never it's the only time I've ever asked a question at a literary event like I do events all the time and answer loads of questions but the only time I've ever asked a question was I was like who's your favourite villain uh, to, that you've written and he was like Carcer because everyone knows so the villain in Nightwatch is Skinny little guy who won't be put down. Skinny little guy who, like, you hit him and he laughs. Skinny little guy who, there's no way he's not going to stop hitting you. You'd have to kill him to stop him. And, and he's like, everyone knows a carcer. And they call him Bottle Covies, which I don't know is a, if, if that's a real term. Mm. But the kind of guy you need to put down to put out. Wow. Like, or put out to put down, whichever whichever's worse. Um, but in Nightwatch, he goes back to, um, he goes back to this scene of this great revolution. And you meet young Reg Shu, young alive Reg Shu, who is all in for the. He's like, you know, Aww. you know, free, you know, free, free, free lives and free running around and free love. And all the Guild of Negotiable Affection are like, oh, we didn't say anything about free love. Thanks very much. Uh, we're out. <laughs> and he's like, well, what else do people want to cheer for? And Vimes like, I like, I like a hard boiled egg. And everyone's like, yeah, free love. Was it free, free lives, reasonably priced love, and a hard boiled egg? And he's like, guys, you're not taking this seriously. They <laughs> just and it's like, oh, listen, Reg, you're all right. And then the big battle on the barricades happen and they're all like fighting away and it's really brutal. Like it's a mm. proper fantasy. He very rarely does proper fantasy. Like there's not like, there's no great nations. There's no end of the world stuff. There's very, very little magic because magic always comes with when you use magic, you are raising your head above the parapet and there are things, capital T, waiting to like, waiting to notice. Like you can't do, I mean, there's another bit I want to talk about later. But um, so they're on the, they're on this, we're having this really grimy like melee battle type thing and in this one of those like crystalline moments uh, Reggie gets um, gets shot with a crossbow bolt and everything sort of slows down 
and he falls and then he gets back up and then he raises the flag and he gets hit by another crossbow oh, bolt no. and another crossbow bolt and he's still standing and still wavering and I swear to God I would that is my favourite thing in fiction like I don't care how often I read it somebody getting shot and getting up dramatically again mm-hmm. is like that people dramatically getting out of wheelchairs like in Buffy or um, in what is the other thing that I love oh people standing up to bullies um, but uh, but yeah so um, he gets up and he then finally, like, whatever spark is in him just, like, fails and he slumps. And Vimes just takes a moment to be like, oh, you know, you think you're dead, you, th- you think you're dead, or you think you're gone, Reg, but, like, some people care too much to die and some people, uh, some people believe so hard. He's like, you know, a couple hours, you're going to be up and moving around again. And, like, it suddenly changes this, like, butt of the joke character to being, like, Wow, that's this is a guy who cares so much about the world and wants to save the world's most and protest and mm. get, hand out flyers that you can't kill him. And like the last thing Vime says before he like goes back to the present is like, "Don't bury him too deeply. He'll be up <laughs> in a few hours." And like they're running through there later, and Reg is like in his office on his own, like putting together like like hand making flyers. He's like, "How you doing there, Reg?" And he's just like, "Yeah, no, okay, just you know, can I talk to you about this?" He's like, "No, it's okay, it's fine." And it's just everyone gets their dignity in Pratchett if you earn it back like any villain any any awful system or scenario you can find your way back as long as you're sound and I think that's like it's a real good way to live isn't mm. it like you were talking about the angry atheist or the the young atheist baby atheist faith and like these books should be handed to young guys and young women like to everybody um, because they allow you to be angry at the system and they allow you to be angry at Mm. the world and and what we're being put through but it says what are you going to do about it are you going to use that to anger to help people? Because if not, you're a, you're kind of a bad guy. But it's okay, you don't have to be a bad guy forever. Just come back and help. Mm. It's very much like pitch in, like, which I really, which I really, really like. Um, and he does these great, like, his books are so, they're really rambly and they're really sort of all over the place and there's lots of, like, silly jokes. But it's all, it's all aiming at a certain, later on, once he gets by um, Weird Sisters, it's all aiming at a certain point and you don't realise you're being set up for a moment and he's very good at like I think because he's so madcap when he gets quiet and when he like pops in a certain line or a single word you suddenly pay like massive mm-hmm. attention like in The Truth which is a book about the first newspaper there's a guy called William DeWord who is he's broke he lives in a hovel um, but he writes letters for people this is an old job that people used to have like you know if you want to send a letter home but you're illiterate you can, he'll write it for you and he writes little letters to um, noblemen and noblewomen in different parts of the world, letting them know what's going on. And then somebody invents a printing press and he's like, oh, we could just do this. And it becomes about uh, a newspaper and about the truth. Uh, name of the novel. And um, at one point he meets somebody who's like, hang on, your name's William DeWord. And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like, of the DeWords, like the mo- like one of the richest families in the, in, 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 the, in the city. He's like, no, no, I work for myself. And hmm. there's mentions of his older brother and his mentions of his dad. His older brother died, I think, in war. And he's like, that's what you're supposed to do when you're a noble son. You're supposed to be feckless oh, yeah. and, and die mm-hmm. and whatever. And this mention of his dad. And I don't think you meet the dad before this particular scene. But while this is all happening, they obviously have to hire a photographer because it's a paper. So they bring in this vampire called Otto von Trek. And Otto is the silliest where is a cape because it puts people at ease because vampires in this world are all recovering addicts most of them try and find things other than blood because blood creeps people out next thing you know there's someone knocking at your door with a, with a, with a pike um, and so there's vampires addicted to coffee there's vampires who are into power and Oliver von Trek is I think his whole thing is it's the cameras isn't it He's obs- is, is, that his, is that what he feeds on he loves light he loves how light works because he can't it doesn't 
it, it kills him. Yeah. So he's, a, just, he's obsessed with light. Vampires find an obsession that yeah. takes their mind off. And they have like um, black ribbon temperance meetings where they all meet up and they like have chats about what they're, what they're going through and things like that. And Olive von Schreck loves taking pictures. Even though the only source of light he has are salamanders, which absorb sunlight and then he lets it off, which kills him. But he carries a tiny little vial around of, of blood around his neck. So when it breaks, the blood reconstitutes him. So this is so like there's a, there's a running joke. And like, oh, you know, let me get the picture and takes a photo, poof, dies, reconstitutes. Oh, that was oh, now there's a bit of carpet dust in me, and I've got kind of the shape of the carpet on and stuff like this. And it's a constant like running silly joke. But he has this experiment that he's working on: these dark light underground cave salamanders, and they use they explode with dark light, and dark light takes photos of things that aren't necessarily there or might be there too much, or might will be there, or might have been there. So at one point they joke and he take, or they, they take a photo of William and Sacharissa Kriplock, the other reporter, is looking at it and she's like, that's so strange. It's almost like a shape of a person beside, behind William DeWord. And he's like, and I won't do the, sorry, I, I won't do the vampire accent, but he, uh, he's like, yes, well, the, the dark light shows pictures of, 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 of things that might be there or might really be there or not really be there. And you only have to speak to William for a little while to know that in a way, his father's always looking over his shoulder. And you suddenly realise, and it's just, oh, chills. Um, it's so, he's, he's so competent. Like people talk about like confident voices. And I never really understood what that, was, that meant until I went back and read Pratchett as a writer and realised that like he's yo-yoing you around constantly, but he always knows where he has you. Mm-hmm. Like he's never. He's never showy ever. Yeah. There's no like big expansive like descriptions of stuff. It's always just you're being talked to by the most, the nicest, kindest, most common sense person who's telling you exactly what you need to know and a little bit that you don't, but you realise later on you needed to know that as well. And he's just, I think he spoiled me for genre writing a bit. Mm. Because I kind of hold everything to his standard in genre writing and a lot of genre writing isn't as concerned with writing as a a skill, I think. Mm. And I read a lot of science fiction I find it's just not. They don't. They don't care as much about the sentences as mm. Pratchett does. Pratchett really goes for the sentences, and in the later books, after he got his diagnosis, there is a shift yeah. in how it goes. There's less. There's less footnotes. It's less conversational because he's dictating it to his assistant. So it does changes. Of, the, they're very different kind of books. I think. Yeah, I kind of, I faded off reading them. I mean, I still, I still read them all. I think it was the last one that I really remember enjoying was. Thud, which I didn't enjoy in the first three, but I really enjoyed in the second. Thud is good, yeah. Um, and then they get sort of w- new elements get introduced. Like he brings in new countries and new. He introduces orcs for the first time, and it was felt kind of like it felt like he was almost gearing up for a plot. Mm. Like it, over, there was no overarching plot over the. The closest thing to a plot is there are new technologies in the world. So he invents the clacks, which are basically long-range semaphore towers and things like that, which is sort of the internet and mm. things like that, or telegraph. Um, uh, telegraph Towers um, but if, yeah it weirdly felt like he was gearing up to like they mentioned like the old evil empire and things like that and I was like that's it felt weird and I haven't read uh, Racing Steam his last Discworld Discworld book because I can't I can't read it No um, I haven't I haven't read it yet Yeah, yeah. I'm like, I feel like folks who read Pratchett are very connected to Pratchett the writer as well as Discworld the place like mm. that there is this like you mentioned earlier like that it's as though he's this sort of kind tender mm. uncle who like this wise figure in your upbringing mm. like 
and that something about him in the books is very pure, like his presence is alive very much in these absurd, like sat- satirical, high fantasy genre novels, yeah. that there is a very strong sense of human, a specific human being. Mm. And is, I guess, his, unfortunately for his family and for like for many like lovers of his work, his death was quite public. Um, because of the manner that he passed away in. He, ma- he made it very... That, that and was, there's a yeah. lot of dignity in that also, I feel. Yeah. I really... I, I read I, I read uh, some stuff around the time of his passing and he, he there's a lot of extreme dignity, I feel, that there was... there was yeah. It was beautiful for, what, for, for the tragedy that it was. But the fact that he continued to produce work while he was unwell is really, really interesting mm. to me. He, he started writing faster. He was like, he was, on average, about two books a year. Whoa! Yeah, Holy yeah. shit! I didn't believe that when I read it either. But he... How? I don't know. They're like, Dave, they just, how? It felt like they, whenever I read quotes from Pratchett, it's very hard to tell whether they're quotes from the books or quotes from him because it's the exact same. Oh, it's the same person, yeah. And like, yeah, they feel very stream of consciousness-y, but uh, it's not a word. But um, they, yeah, I think that's very true. I think that like when you read his stuff, like you are reading him, you are reading mm. his his thoughts in it. Because if like he, he gives you, aside from like there being a plot, uh, and the plot is like there's this narrative unity. The plots are connected to the themes and to what he's talking about, but he's telling you what he thinks about the opera uh, and 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 religion and, and the, philosophy, the, the economy, and, and the economy, and, and death, and death. And like one of the things I love, and I kind of only put it together recently, was um, uh, going postal is one of his very late books, and at that stage it was bringing in because he has these trends of characters, and I was like. As much as I could ever criticise Pratchett, I was kind of like, oh, why are we getting like a brand new character? And then I read Going Postal and Going Postal is about a con man who is saved from the um, the noose by um, the lord of the city, this Lord Havelock Veterinary, who is easily top five Discworld characters ever. Oh, yeah. Compared to this guy, this is Pratchett's words, compared to this guy, Machiavelli couldn't have run a whelk stall. Hello. He is mm. the... He is he you know it's it's a one vote it's one one man one vote system he's the man he is the vote um he is he's basically like he's described as the kind of guy who if he was sentenced to die by being uh, drawn and quartered he'd somehow manage to tie all of the chains together and be sitting underneath it groaning theatrically like he's just the most incredible manipulator and 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 politician ever basically uh but he says, Moise von Lipwig, this con man, because like, I think you're a man with talents. And I think you could revitalise the postal service. And it's a book about this con man revitalising the postal service. And it sounds like it shouldn't work. But what it basically, what he talks about constantly with Moise von Lipwig is when you trick the world, um, there's a moment when, when the mark is like, you know, looking at the fake gold ring or when you're like, you're pretending to be a bishop and trying to sell someone something or whatever. There's a moment where you can spin the whole world on your fingers. There's a moment where sometimes everything that glitters is gold. And like, when I read that, I was like, that's like, that's, he's just weaponized imposter syndrome. Like he just like, that whole like, um, feeling like the fraud police are going to kick your door down. Oh yeah, with a clipboard. Yeah, you could look at it as, oh God, I'm a fake and nobody knows. Or you could look at it as, I'm a fake and nobody knows. They're letting me away <laughs> with me this. All your money. <laughs> and that's what he and then he immediately addresses that by um so he tries to escape and he gets pulled back and this golem pulls him back. Um and the golem is like and he's like, Oh, I've never I'm not a criminal, I've never killed anybody. It's like you've killed eight point four people by the this bank that you, you you took off, this thing you did, I've calculated that you have killed eight point four people. And like the idea that like again it's the Moise Philip realises I have this gift I know the rules therefore I should use it for good um, 
So, we, okay, things I wanted to talk about. Um, <laughs> sorry, all of this. Uh, Rex Shoe, working class. The feminism thing I found interesting, and we talked about this a little bit before, that, like, he's got a good spread of female characters. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know what the ratio is, but, like, the witches, um, I gave uh, Witches Abroad to my girlfriend, and... I was like, what did you think it was like a feminist book? And she was like, we tried to figure out the male, there's like, I think there's maybe two male characters in it and they're very bit characters. Mm. Um, and lots of different types of women and lots of um, women with agency and like, but I wonder would he, I, I, I really want to sit down and read um, after this, like what, what women have written about whether they would consider him feminist because like, I kind of see him as this old sort of like, I remember re- meeting this writer once who was very liberal but he was sort of that old school 60s cigar chopping liberal where he was like, you know, believed all the right things, but also did not want to be criticised on any of like, like, uh, do you want to change any of those beliefs? Because he'd been out marching back in the 60s and stuff mm. like that. I've done my time. Yeah, like, don't be telling me. And like, I read, I recently read an article about RuPaul and RuPaul kind of comes across like that as well, where he's kind of like, um, he... It's like, like stop that self, self-sabotaging. And it's like, no, that's systemic oppression, Ru. Yeah. <laughs> those are two different things. <laughs> I've called this like... for years. And it's like, yes, but... I love you, but but not always right. Not always right. Yeah. Yeah, and it's and it's and it's like, and I get that they like put in their time in a coal face, and Mm. they they oh they seriously put in their time. Yeah. Yeah, but and and does that give you the 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 right? No, well, it doesn't. But like, like you know, they think it gives them the right to like be like, I'm like, like I can do whatever I want. Like I was there at the whatever. Kids nowadays. Yeah. And I don't think, uh, yeah, kids need to toughen kids up. Kids nowadays is two syllables off snowflake. Did you know that? <laughs> That's what I feel like. Like, oh, I see you. And I don't think that would be practice. But I do, uh, but I, yeah, I'd wonder, it'd be a conversation I'd love to have with him. Because like, I think for him, it was just innate. I think he, he in the witches books particularly, he really dismantles the idea. So there's the maiden, mother and crown idea. And um, technically, Granny Weatherwax is the maiden because um, in, in Lords and Ladies it reveals that she that she's a virgin, basically. So technically, she's the, the, maiden. the maiden. Yeah. And then Margaret, who I love. So Margaret should have been called Margaret, but her mother couldn't spell. And had you been a Margaret, you know, you have big, strong arms and you go out there and do the thing, but she's a Margaret. So she's basically Aww. a wet hen. Aww. And she's just like, kind of, slightly pathetic, but... Amazing in certain, like I mean, and she 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 really develops over the course of the series and stuff. Mm. But it's just like, and he's very into that kind of, like, yeah, I don't know. And then there's Susan Stoheim. She's kind of a a failing Etsy shop of a person. <laughs> she has oh, very strong ideas of what, of what, a, of what a witch should be. Oh, it just got uh, cold in here. Yeah. <laughs> Look at my runic dagger. I put oh. so many rooms in it, it fell apart. Oh. And then the other witch is like, we just use a butter knife. It's grand, like you know yeah. that kind of thing. Because what oh, matters is the what the matters intention. is the, the, the intentionality. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but then some of like some of her, uh, his best villains have been female characters and uh, like really chilling and not all that like it's not like sexy film uh, femme fatale or anything like that. There's there's a lot of variety in his characters. Like I love Angua. I think mm. Angua is amazing. And then he does, yeah, the doors thing. I'm, I don't know. Like I'd love to because I asked before we started rolling. Um, I was like, as usual on Juvenile, I was like, so let's talk about the queer theory. Yeah, and so, yeah. there's there's not there is some and there isn't some in Pratchett. I think there are character. I think he's definitely mentioned characters who are gay, but it's that kind of. It's that stupid Aaron Sorkin answer where it's like, you know, oh, there are no gay characters in the West Wing. How do you know? And it's like, well, because it wasn't... You're choosing. Not that you need to, <laughs> to shout it out or anything like that, but like, if we didn't pick up on it... I don't know. Like, I don't have that experience. So like, Oh, this I don't, is totally like, P.S. Dumbledore is gay, right? Yeah, a little, little bit. bit. Um, except that like, he obviously he hasn't even done that. I think it doesn't... I don't think it was a... 
I think it was a, I, it doesn't matter to me whether people are or aren't thing for him but like mm. that's not to say he shouldn't have. I don't I, are there I feel there is a there's a wiki where like it would like it would like, yeah I like I, the thing is I read all these when I was so young yeah that, oh you did, that just yeah, yeah. I didn't have the vocabulary or the to know to, that I should have been looking out for that mm. yeah which I do now so if I'm, I'm sure if I reread them there must be someone like you were telling me earlier about the dwarves and the idea of, of yeah. dwarves and gender which sounded really interesting it's very interesting and um, and since listening to uh, Jay Maz has been the X-Men I've gotten really into the idea of like because like one of the things that annoys uh, uh, Jay about X-Men is that too often the mutants are hated and feared metaphor which is great, but it should exist alongside actual representation mm. instead of, uh, oh no, we're just going to talk about all these. Like, no, but you should probably address the fact that like other other types and groups of people are hated and feared and you can't just have, uh, we're a metaphor. You oh, need to shoot, have like, Cyclops hmm. has laser eyes. Jean Grey has migraines. Oh, everyone hates them. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. And like, I, and the, um, Jay is very into the idea of like, um, like the, the, the passing thing with mutants. So like, you know, it's a lot more difficult for Beast to be a mutant than it is for Jean Grey. But Chirot mm. can just put her gloves on. Great. Yeah. Um but yeah, so in, in Pratish, um the dwarves are a really hierarchical is that a word? Yeah. Hierarchical society. Um I don't think they're exactly a caste system, but there's very much kind of a like overground and underground. Like loads of dwarves went to the city to make money. And now and they send all that money home and uh the dwarves at home are really happy to get it. But you know, you went up top. So you're not really those city dwarves aren't really like us, you know. Some of them even have felt sunlight on their skin. Yeah. Like and, and the city, city dwarves also have, um, they really overdo the dwarfishness to keep contact with that part of themselves. Think Irish people abroad. Yeah. Oh, work. Yeah. Okay. Or actually, a theory I read that Worf and a sash, that Worf's basically like a Klingon cosplayer. That's why he's so into honour <laughs> in Star Trek Next Generation. That he's, because to keep that connection with that part of himself, he's super Klingon y. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's that, it's the same to dwarves, the overground dwarves. Yeah, and so they and they like yeah they have, they have the meetings with the and, and it's interesting because it's it, they're very much a series not about heroes like there aren't like there isn't a I mean there are main characters but not heroes but there is a prophesied king holier than thou but not in a bad way amazing Captain America Superman esque beacon of hope and he decided to be a cop instead and he's a dwarf he was raised as a dwarf and they call him um, I think his dwarf name is like Bang's Head on Ceiling yeah. um, oh my god and it's funny that they don't that is deep Douglas Adams shit right there as it's well very, it's the same yeah. voice yeah um, yeah so like they with the dwarves it, Cherry Littlebottom um, who is and there's a really lovely scene where like she um, he, this dwarf comes in to get uh, to get interviewed for the job and um, they come in and they're like hello I'd like to interview for this job my name is Cherry Littlebottom and Vimes is like okay so what experience have you got and he's like so did you did you hear my name he's like yeah yeah Cherry Littlebottom I'm happy to hear on the sheet and it's like cool I just normally people it's like normally people watch do, do, do you have any questions about the job he's like no 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 I just okay and they have the interview and they leave whatever and then Vimes is like Cherry Littlebottom I can't like it's just like this like holding it together but anyway um, uh, so with Cherry um, Cherry is a female dwarf and there are a lot there are female dwarves but they all have beards and they all dress exactly the same and um, she starts presenting as female but she like, like and, and she basically puts like as in she puts like little high heels on her on her boots and she carry her axles like a ribbon on it and that's it uh, she, she, puts her, she puts her beard in a plait and it causes ructions in the in the dwarf world and real true society kind of crack and then dwarves start bringing that home and, and it's kind of and yeah it's an interesting I'm not quite sure what he's trying to what Project was trying to say with it I guess 
Um, and then it's revealed much later on that like the, the low king, this like um, the dwarf of all dwarfs is also a female dwarf and starts like very, like very gently starts pre- uh, presenting as female as well. And I kind of wish, I mean, it's a, it's a really interesting idea culturally and stuff. I just, I kind of wish he'd, he'd also had gay characters. You know, mm-hmm. I think you'd have them both. I don't think one because there's so many characters. Like, yeah, there's so there's much 41 of books, this. and I think there's pro- 41. 41 Discworld books. There's a few more. Oh, there's so many books. My wrists are th- hurting even like thinking yeah. about mm-hmm. how much production that is. And like, yeah, I just, I don't think there is. I definitely don't think there's like a main character who, who was who was anywhere. The on one, the, the one spectrum, hero like, of the. Oh no, on the on on the, on the yeah, that's. I don't think and like yeah. Yeah, and I, I would like to see more. It's like race as well is a, is a, is a bit of an like it's he has books that talk about racism, but what well, he is Jingo, I think is the is the one that really yeah. like it's yeah. about a war between an, uh, what is fundamentally an Arabic nation and Ankh-Morpork, which is I guess London in the eighteen hundreds mixed with New York, kind of. It's every big city that's in films. Yeah, oh, pretty much movie city. Yeah. Uh, so like they and there's lots of sort of like gentle ribbing of there's a bit where like two of the guardsmen are talking about um uh how oh you know we, the Clatch is 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 the is a sort of uh, Middle Eastern themed country and it's like oh you know they didn't give us anything you know they gave us nothing and it's like oh no they invented they invented the number zero and it's like yeah they gave us nothing and they invented this and like and he basically lists up all the things that they invented and it's like well they've nothing to do in the desert so it must have been like they must have had loads of time or whatever and it's just this kind of like the way that like it really but you us, perceive like the amazing accomplishments of like parts of the world that are as the it must West. be nothing or like yeah, you know they're yeah. like um uh they're talking about like. Uh, yeah, it's a real like because it's just two lads outside the pub basically talking, and one of them's kind of like you know, um, it's like oh, you know, they come over here and they take our jobs. It's like you know, they they try to become cops, and it's like no, they just like they come over here and they like you know doing no work and taking our jobs. It's like so they were doing no work and taking it, and it, not in a bad way. It was just this guy being a kind of like, I guess quite dopey, just being like, but wait, hang on, what about? And he's like, oh, bringing their foreign food. It's like, but you love curry, and it's like, no, but like it's not, it's different here. Like you know, when they have put peas in it and stuff, and it's very. British attitudes to Brexity racism and things like that and it's kind of like it does it touches on it but then most of the main characters would be white as well Mm. which like yeah I would have liked more basically in terms of representation yeah positionality is weird now reading them as an adult it changes like reading them like we were saying earlier on like when you read them as a child like they belong to you like they're Mm. speaking to you but it's complicated and strange when something that you love has to talk the rest of the world it doesn't mm. does, it doesn't just have to talk to you yeah. you know but the intimate relationships that people have with Pratchett are so stunning and so private in that way where they feel it, any, like even listening to this chat it's like oh my god like he's your person yeah you know oh 100% like, like he's yeah. like how many times in a lifetime does that happen with a piece of art or culture that you feel as though this intimately and specifically is yours yeah he is my he is just my guy like he is my like <laughs> Uh, really just my everything in terms of like, like I, I say I read a Pratchett book like once a month because just because what? like it's just, just because it's like it's there it's like coming home and it's just like Holy you always shit. find a new line or a new joke or something you didn't mm. reading them aloud uh, to my girlfriend was a real revelation because like you get suddenly you get much more jokes and like you were like this one where he's like the three witches are talking about who should get this magic wand that was blonde to this witch who travelled around the world and stuff and Margaret is like well I think I should get it you know I used to go up and make her that foreign food that she liked and they're like uh huh Currying favor. Oh. It's like, uh, why, why Terry? Why is her Terry? 
Sir Terry, who forged Sir the sword, Terry. who forged the sword that they that they knighted him with, oh, for and his friend donated some meteoric iron. So it was like a thunderbolt. It was like a space star. sword. Space yeah. sword. Yeah, he was uh, galaxy blade. Galaxy blade. Oh, Terry Pratchett, galaxy blade. He was just like he was phenomenal. Um, Two for, books a year. Mm. So, Not all Discord books now. Like, but still, yeah. though. my first introduction was actually Johnny and the Dead. Oh yeah, I, which I read like. So long ago, I remember that I read it in, yeah. in very little. See, what happened, my cousin used to babysit us, and she read Terry Pratchett. So I'd see these weird covers. I remember Reaperman specifically mm. as this, like when I was like nine, as this really weird adult kind of thing. Yeah, was, had like a really stylized skeleton on the front. I was like, that seems cool. Yeah. So then the book fair came to the school. Skeletons and, are cool. And there was a Terry Pratchett <laughs> book on the list, and it was Johnny the Dead. So I was like, I don't care what this is. I'm getting this. This is what my older cool cousin <laughs> reads. Books by covers. Books by covers. Johnny and the Dead is about a boy who can suddenly see all the ghosts in the cemetery. And the cemetery is getting paved over and moved, and none of the ghosts want to move. And he has to save the cemetery. And oh. then he, he's like 12, and he has three friends, and they're all... There is actually one person that is black, and they're all working class. Okay, yeah. So there is that. There's no women in that one, though. But, um... And then my cousin just gave me a lot of Discworld books and that let me keep them. So oh. I had, then I had like six to start off with. <laughs> oh. And then that Christmas I got more and just, then I just kept getting them and getting them and getting yeah. them. What an amazing resource to have as a child where yeah. you go, can I have some of X books? Yeah. They, those cousins also gave me my first batch of Roald Dahl books. Oh. When I was like seven. So oh, they're like two big moments. Also a problematic fave. Your fave uh, oh, problematic. Yeah. Yeah. Although Roald Dahl much worse than Terry Pratchett Oh as far god as Roald Dahl yeah. was like, something else man mm-hmm. Like Yikes with a capital god. Y yeah. Like Y space bar I space bar K Like <laughs> whoa yikes Yikes Roald Dahl Yeah I don't view Pat Pratchett on that spectrum at no, all like, no, I think no 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 There no. could have been more but I like and I, and I hate the phrase it was a different time but like uh, there was so much of what he did was 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 uh, so much of the, the calls to arms that he has have in the books are about being kind and about using your privilege to help people and about being relentless in terms of like helping others that like I feel like he is sort of on side mm, but yeah. it would have been it would have been nice to I see I feel like it's that unthinking way that a lot of like cis white men have where just they don't know that they don't know so if yeah. someone had said to him in the 90s you don't really have any black characters in these books he would have went oh shit you're right yeah. or you don't have any queer characters oh absolutely you were 100% right I should, I should fix that yeah it was because he is kind and has he doesn't like he writes women and he writes men but not with like a certain his only agenda really is unfairness yeah well, you know that's all that's his what only he agenda about. is unfairness that's what he his yeah. agenda is just and what a big one to tackle yeah and he obviously he misses structural aspects of that because of because he's a cis white man but I think fundamentally he's his heart is in the right place yeah and I think without taking liberties um, to, to decide the character of somebody I don't know, I think were he were it mentioned to him, he'd immediately course correct because there's that mm. bit in Hogfather where he talks about the... Hogfather's about Santa, basically. And who is real. Who is real. Yeah. Um, and For the record. The Hogfather mm-hmm. is the Discord version of Santa and the Hogfather uh, is right basically here. taken out by an assassin <gasps> uh, one of the creepiest and it's one of the reasons I can't watch the I don't watch the TV Discworld movies I, that angered me so much they just they just they took one of the scariest characters I've ever read about oh can um, I read the back of this fucking book oh yeah because it. it's so good it's the night before Hogswatch and it's too quiet where is the big jolly fat man 
Why is death creeping down chimneys and trying to say ho, ho, ho? The darkest night of the year is getting a lot darker. Susan, the gothic governess, has got to sort it out by morning. Otherwise, there won't be a morning ever again. Yep. Susan, yeah. the gothic governess. Susan is death's granddaughter. St- yeah. Work! Her yeah. hair unravels itself when she's... Ma- she is... There's a... Again, a really fucking stupid but brilliant but where like when... Is it is it in this one that she takes over the mantle of death for a while? It's mm, Tifa time, is it? Um, there's one basically where she yeah. takes on death's duties because he's he's absconded somewhere, and she's riding. She rides by um, these two guardsmen, uh, Nobby and Colon, uh, who are sort of the the guys I mentioned earlier. They're sort of like uh, two Ronnies, kind of like a type working class double act. Okay, yeah, yeah. okay. Um, uh, Nobby was disqualified from the human race for shoving. He's a, oh, he's a basic oh, mind character's so. thumb. Oh no! <laughs> like it's really. Um, I want to disqualify lots of people for shoving. <laughs> shoving is a really good reason to kick people out. Colon and his wife participate only in, uh, in conduct their marriage only through notes because she works during the day and he works at night. They're the happiest couple. Goals. <laughs> isn't, that Dolly, isn't that how Dolly Parton <laughs> keeps her marriage going? I feel like that's a real strategy. Yeah, yeah. But um, she, she like so Susan rides by on Binky, you know, sword and cloak and the whole lot of whatever, and um, and Nobby and Colin watching him and was like there's death it's like do you think she has a, do, you, do you think he has a first name what like Keith death it's like <laughs> no he doesn't look like a Keith but like a Bruce or something and it's like Bruce for a second there I thought he looked like a Susan <laughs> it's like um but in so in Hogfather um, uh, Death decides to puts a pillow up his robe and decides to <laughs> sit on my knees they're so sore because they're bones uh. um, and at the end um, and Susan's like why are you doing this this isn't important and uh, Death is like it's, it's incredibly important they, like, they need to believe in, in, in the Hogfather and, and she's like why it's just a stupid story and he's like well we need the little stories to believe in the big ones Grind, grind the universe down to its finest powder and put it through the finest sieve and show me one atom of mercy, one molecule of justice. These things do not exist. And, like, you need these things. And she was like, what? And, like, the the whole uh, myth about Santa... Not the, like, in Hogswatch, it's like, it comes from the whole idea that, like, you do these sacrifices at Christmas because the sun will rise. Um... Yes, I know. <laughs> I'm, I'm looking for the quote in the book now because oh, no, I feel perfect. like Dave nailed it. Like, he did nail it, yeah. Holy um, shit. Uh, I like remembering things. But yeah. um, but she's like, but so like the, the reason that the Hogfather myth is important is because um, you do these sacrifices so the sun will rise. Because, um, and she's like, well, what happens tomorrow if we don't do this? And he's like, the sun won't rise. And she's like, okay. And he's like, a mere ball of flaming gas will illuminate the world. It's not the same thing. And this idea of like, we need these, it's all about the stories and it's all about like, like I think that like if you told Pratchett that like you need to have more more of these pe- more people in to your, illuminate other parts book, of the world, he'd be like, oh, of course, because he knows it's the story and the symbolism that are important. Mm. And like one of the things that makes Pratchett really personal for me is that like um, the witches books are very much about stories. And like once you know how a story works, you can manipulate it, and that makes um, the villain in 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 uh, Witches Abroad is a fairy godmother. And she's terrifying. He's like, you're going to be this person. I'm going to murder you, innkeeper, because you're not fat and jolly. An innkeeper should be fat and jolly. Is that toy maker whistling enough? You need to be whistling if you're a toy maker. You know? And she has a magic wand with like rings around it. And when she snaps them like this, they go like a shotgun. It's, oh, she's great. But that was really important to me because when I was 
it's all about how you sell yourself. And like when I was like a kid and when I was like very like, you know, people like, you know, giving me shit or whatever. And I would internalize that and I would try and I used to make more jokes about myself than they did because I thought that would make them like me. And then when I got to college and sort of like read Pratchett again as an adult and got into theatre and acting and stuff. And I realized that like, and I said that I did a talk on Pratchett a while ago and I was kind of like, God, your whole life changes when you stop calling yourself fat and start calling yourself a big guy. Like suddenly <laughs> your whole, and that's Pratchett being like, you know, once you know how the story works, you can swap things around. And suddenly you're telling the story and they're listening and they're a part of your story and you can spin that. And like, that's hugely important for me. Like whenever I go into like school events, whatever, or even a room I'm, I'm afraid to go into, I go in and I'd be big. And suddenly it's my story and their players instead of the other way around. And it's a real... I thought they say that I do it all the time and it makes me sound like an awful wanker. But like, it's when you see the shapes of, especially like when I go to schools now, it's all the same type of, like every kid is different, but there are plot lines. Like there's the, there's the jokey, like fun kid who was a good kid if you just got him to concentrate for two seconds. There's the really popular kid who would just love to spend more time in academia but can't because he's the popular kid or they're the popular kid there's the jerk uh, and there's the kids who are just trying to hide and, all, and they, you just see it over and over again and like once you know how you fit into a story you can pop yourself out and use other, and, and take other things like it's a very big picture yeah they're very they're very empowering books to read if you're if you're feeling that you don't have any power basically That's- that's so important. Was it well, was it on or off the air that you guys were talking about how these are like really necessary books in terms of worldview and you think that they could if if people would maybe just be better if they read them yeah, in yeah. terms of how they treat people and kindness and empathy. No, I think I relate to the world a lot through what I learned from those books. That and listening to Common People by Pulp when I was like 10. Ah. <laughs> You're like, oh, okay, yeah. Don't be a fake working class person. That's really shitty. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There's a whole other set. Because I was middle class as well. My parents were working class, but I was middle class. There's like, there's a whole, that's, those are real lives. That's not just like EastEnders. That's not a decoration. Yeah. You know? You're not a tourist. You can't be, yeah. To, to, everybody hates a tourist, that line from Common People. Yeah. That's stuck in my head. That's, everywhere I go, I'm like, don't be a tourist. Yeah. Be part of it or acknowledge that you're not part of it. But don't pretend that you are part of it when you're not. You yeah. Know, that's, and that, that and Terry Pratchett are two huge things. Yeah. Vimes especially. I think Vimes is Terry Pratchett. He did. He, I, I, I read I an interview with him once when he was like, "Vimes yeah. is the closest to me as a, yeah. as a voice," and there are, yeah, because I think Granny is too much her own character to be a mouthpiece. Mm-hmm. Like, Gra- like Granny Weatherwax or Esme Weatherwax is so fascinating as so much. She, she was a big inspiration for Vivian Hardwick from 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 my books. Um, mm. Just this coiled yeah. sense of power and this coiled sense of unfairness and how you have to keep yourself on the right level because it would be so easy to be bad, but you'd have to choose being bad and, and you can't do that if you're a good person. You can't actually go, I'm going to do a bad thing. And like Lilith, her sister, is... Oh, good she, name choice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She's, she's, she thinks she's a fairy godmother. She thinks she's doing the right thing. You know, as she puts, as she, you know, you know, changes. It's actually... So you know the whole... Um, and it, like one of the things that he does so much and which I've tried to do it myself in my writing is like dismantling tropes just all over the place. Like just... Like there's Cohen the Barbarian who is a barbarian who's like... Who's just... No one's ever been able to kill him. So he's like 86 years old. And um, there's like... Uh, so Lilith, the the fairy godmother, she... You know the whole fairy tale thing of like turning mice into people yeah. and turning whatever? She turns uh, two snakes into people and they are just women. They are just women who look at you in a certain way and they are so scary. Mm. Or the Duke is like he's a... Also he's, goals. 
Yeah. <laughs> he's a frog turned into a person. And mm. over the whole world, it's like, oh, he's so handsome, but why does he wear dark glasses? And like, did he just like lick a fly out of the air? Like, and it's the, it's like, that's the thing that we just accept as kids. And like, oh yeah, you're turning mice into animals. Mm. They, he's a, she's a cat called Grebo. Sorry. Nanny has a cat called Grebo and Grebo gets turned into a person later on and is this like swaggering, terrifying, one-eyed, hello. And like, this, was like, <laughs> this was a huge mistake. He's um, just this piece of sex with an eye patch. Awesome. He's a big top cat with like a rapier and like claws <laughs> and like... Uh, and then what he was just, that in? Uh, that's Witches Abroad. Okay, right, work. Yeah. Is, is it Masquerade where he gets turned into a... Is Masquerade before Witches Abroad? No, after. Yeah, because Agnes Nin. And that's... Yeah, yeah, Agnes Nin is an odd character. So, like, Agnes is um, somebody who they start looking at to be the next young witch because Margaret has gone off. Um, and she's... Uh, and this is just the way the project describes her. So she's, um, she's a very large girl. And um, she's described as being, like... Um, she has this, like, other voice in her head called Perdita. And Perdita's real cool and Agnes is not. So... Um, it's like you know if the line is that that um, Agnes is uh, every girl is like was it every fat like, this is what she this is the line from the book if every um, uh, fat girl is a thin girl and a lot of chocolate and Agnes is like pretty as a thin girl and I'm a lot of chocolate oh. and that's like she's a character with a lot of agency but still yeah it's 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 it's, it's I'm more unco- I haven't read Masquerade again like it's a little bit I find it a little bit uncomfortable um, I just like, one of my wife's favorite books actually really yeah. okay. Mm. Yeah, it just like back that's the bit. Yeah, that's the bit that I think of. But then again, Agnes has like so much to do, and she's a, like a real, and she's like a, a a real fully like she's a person who gets to do a lot of things. So there is, I don't know, it's it's a weird, and that's not a nothing. But the thing is, looking back on her, this is the this is the ringing that all our faves are problematic bell, right? Like the things that we love and the things that matter to us and the things that change our lives and shapes our shaped our worldview don't have to be pure. Yeah. Like there is no correct text and no utterly wrong failed text except mm. the Big Bang Theory. <laughs> like there is no yeah. like yeah. <laughs> you know there's no I'm binary. Oh going to be great. <laughs> oh god, give me half of your money. Like what? But there there's no I hope it opens with him eating his parents. Oh stop. This is what I Finally, yeah. some, something interesting happened. <laughs> but I don't think that we can look and look at things in terms of binary good and binary bad. I think we can only take the things from these texts and these pieces of work that made us more fully who we are. Yeah. Like, mm. and if there are pieces of Pratchett that contributed to the good that we put into the world in turn, like, I mean, Jesus, so many of the things I loved growing up. I mean, I was a teenage misogynist. Like, there are so many things yeah. that mm. I just like. I fucking love Douglas Adams. One woman is like trillion mm. wandering around. Do you know there's no women yeah. in those books? But when I was a child, they instilled a sense of absurdity and curiosity in me. And at that time, that was all that mattered. And maybe that's privilege and yeah. fair. Mm. It definitely is. But I think if if we go procedurally through the work that shifted us into better people or wiser people or warmer people or more imaginative people, we can destroy that initial impact. Mm. And I think it's really important to kind of treasure the magic bits instead of feeling worried that maybe a book that was written in the fucking 80s isn't immaculate in terms of current political theory like yeah. we we gotta be hopeful and do better in our own turn oh I mean you I know? think like I mean it's, that's a, it's a small note on a on a on a vast Mm-mm-mm. like yeah. world oh that is yeah good. certainly and I do think there's a line that I always remember because like being a big guy there's a line where he uh, describes 
because it's in Masquerade about the opera singer and it's an opera singer who is absolutely pretending to be like uh, sort of a quasi-Italian type dude but he's actually called like Erno Blog or something like that Um, and it mentions that like you know he moved with the particular grace certain large men move with like a barely tethered balloon I was like that's how I move that one really spoke to me as well yeah Yeah. and I was like like, I'm a big guy and I like prance around like like a tiny horse I'm like and like Oh, he's just like like I really get that, mm. uh, and it is. I mean, like I think with Agnes's character, one of the, one of the in the arc of Masquerade, she's an incredible singer. She can harmonise herself, um, which I don't. I can't tell if it's a real thing or not because it's a project. Um, I've tried it. I don't think. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so the 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 cast and like you're incredible. That's amazing. You're going to stand behind Christine. And Christina's going to marry, then you're going to sing. Oh, I can sing it in the rain. Yeah. It, oh mm, my god. Yeah. It could be. A, this is the thing. With, there are certain of his books I read and like, I got that reference and I got that reference. There's a lot like Masquerade. There's so many opera references. Yeah. What of, speaking again to the whole uh, uh, um, imposter syndrome style thing, there's a character in a, it's, it's, it's Phantom of the Opera basically and there's a character in a call. That's a song from uh, Phantom of the Opera, right? Masquerade. Oh, was, I don't oh, know. could be. Yeah, I don't, probably. Sorry, I'm going to wonder kill that because it's going to annoy me. <laughs> but um, so there's and I don't like I, I, I I'm sorry that I, I don't know Phantom of the Opera that well, but the caretaker is basically this phantom who shows up and is like, uh, wears a mask and is super dashing and the um, the caretaker looks like he's held together. It is a song from Phantom of the Opera. Oh, there we cool. go. It's a banger. <laughs> if it's the one I'm thinking of, yeah. it's a fucking banger. Yeah. Excuse me, but the, the caretaker is, looks like he was held together by rubber bands and is super awkward and super weird or whatever uh, and turns out to be the phantom um, and the bad guy burns his mask and he can't be the phantom without the mask and then Granny's like um, listen I have a new mask for you it's completely invisible and you wear it inside your skin and it makes you back to the phantom and she hands it and just for a second uh, Walter can feel something on his fingers and he puts, as he puts it up to his face and he stands up and it's the phantom and I was like oh, that's, that's, that's good like it's, the, the books are so much about like yeah about like, about like power and how you take power uh, to use power to help people and injustice and, and the worst thing in the world is injustice and not always not, not against you but against other people and what do you do when you have that choice or like and like yeah it's just they're so powerfully written and so silly they're just sort of really just very very silly books in a, a lot of the time and folks receive more powerful stuff through silliness it's as a well. delivery system like it, it's what an amazing and what a beautiful delivery system and it's how rare to be able to laugh at something while you're like oh my god my world is fucking rocked yeah like how, how often does that happen in reading where you're cracking up laughing like again like, you know I keep touching back on Adams because I feel like there's a lot of similar are, like yeah, thematic yeah, yeah. moments and similar like voicey things because mm. when you're reading Adams you feel like he's speaking to you you know yeah. um like that that world changing thing that happens while you're laughing I used to I laughed out loud constantly reading those books and I'm like oh, just cracking yeah. myself up reading I don't them. remember when the last time was that that happened yeah. to me what an amazing thing Dave is currently find pouring uh, into uh, one of the His description of um, the reason that, he, that the guns are such an evil tool is because every weapon is just human energy stored up and a gun is just point and click. I know oh. exactly what bit I'm looking for now, actually. Sorry. It's hard because he doesn't use chat. Like, he, the, the first thing I noticed about the first Pratchett book that I read was there were so many quotes at this front about people who were just like, you know, um, as funny as Wodehouse and witty as Wah. Wah? Yeah. Wow. Then right. when I finally read Wodehouse, like 10 years later, I was like, oh, Pratchett's better than him. Oh, much better. Yeah. <laughs> like, Wodehouse is like a bit of crack, but like, yeah. this guy is like. I have a soft spot for Wodehouse. He's, he's fun, 
but even more problematic. And, oh, yeah. Uh, Jesus. Uh, whereas Pratchett is actually saying something. But one of the, the quotes on the front of the book is um, doesn't even, nonsense, doesn't even use real chapters. Also, a complete quite, amateur. Yes. Yeah. Oh, fab. <laughs> Goals also. Yeah. Pratchett describes, like, you know, I've occasionally, I've occasionally been accused of literature, but um, <laughs> one of my, um, one of my least favourite tropes or things that happen in the world is the people who write articles about how bad something is that start with I've never read Terry Pratchett mm. I've never read Harry Potter and it's like is cool that you, do you think you're clever like <laughs> then do your do your home, homework like, like do you send your kid into school and go hey, listen don't do anything from the exam or don't, don't read the book before you do the well, exam well I've never done an equation but <laughs> it's like do you think the Josh Kirby covers give a false impression of the books I think I think I think I think Pratchett would have been happy. I think they don't get across the gravity of what he can talk about. Mm. But they're pulpy. I think Pratchett. Yeah, but I think, pr- I, I think Pratchett would have been yeah. totally happy with that. And in due time, like they're iconic. Like you oh, know, what, are, yeah. I like I've, I. I wouldn't need to know it was on a cover, but I would look at the visual style of it and go, "Oh, that's a Pratchett book." Mm. Like they're they're a visual language of their own. I al- I also just opened Reaper Man, and the first lines of Reaper Man are, "The Morris Dance is common to all inhabited worlds in the multiverse." It is danced under blue skies to celebrate the quickening of the soil and under bare stars because it's springtime and with any luck, the carbon dioxide will unfreeze again. <laughs> this is great. I feel really excited because um, listeners don't know this, but both uh, Dave and Alan arrived with um, many Pratchett books for me uh, in the spirit of Lisa Cohen uh, handing me it at the end of the Stephen King podcast mm-hmm. and me going, well, I'm absolutely going to read this 1,500 yeah. page long <laughs> novel. And I did. Thank you. And yeah. it was great. Pleased to report reader she married him. Um, <laughs> but I'm delighted now because I've got all these books that you guys are really excited about to also become excited about. Like, I feel almost grateful that I didn't dip in early because there's something left. Do you ever get that about things? Yeah. Oh, yeah. oh, my I've God. There's deliberately something left. not read the last couple. And I have all no his last episodes. Ones. Yeah, I can't find the exact quote that I was looking for, but um, there's a bit at the end of Men at Arms, just the book about the the gun or the gun, where um, the villain is sort of like uh, doing his like monologue or whatever, and uh, Karish, um the 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 t- gigantic. Um, you know crown birthmark definite proper ruler of the city but has decided to be a copper and spends his time organising street gangs and being like you know no guys let's play football okay you're going to be shirts and you're going to be skins put all your weapons on the ground my goodness that is a large pile of weapons <laughs> but there's an air around him a royal air that people just kind of like go along with like when he says looking to see here people go oh I guess not and it's like it doesn't anyone else who like tried to do that with these kids who are like average age 10 average cynicism like 163 would be murdered instantly but Carrot is the king and yet never just doesn't want to be he's like no I could do more I, I don't think he ever even acknowledges that he is he's just kind of like they find a crown at some point and Fime says do you want this and Carrot says no I think we're going to put this back yeah and then that's it that's, it's never mentioned again but it, when the, yeah. the villain is like doing his like and like the thing about when you pick up the gun is suddenly it's like you can have me I can do whatever you want me to do and stuff like that and Carrot picks it up and just smashes against the wall and uh, and then proceeds to kill the, the villain and is like you know uh, I can't find the quote maybe it's not for Men at Arms where he's like uh, uh, when you are held at gunpoint or gunpoint always pray you're being held by an evil man because an evil man will talk and he'll rant and he'll try and convince you to believe in him a good man will kill you without a word Whoa. that's like 
yeah, Kara's just a good, and like Kara like stabs the guy, and Vimes like, oh well, you just did that, and he pulls out this one. He's like, he was standing against a wall. There is like a giant hole in the wall behind him because Kara is huge. Whatever, and Kara's like, I think we should go home, sir, and like it's just very, yeah, and like he, uh, it's, it's they're just lovely. They're very lovely books. Um, and I think they are an easy read. Like, I mean, like, you get sucked in very quickly because, again, he doesn't use chapters. So it just, like, rattles along. And it's very much like... What an approach. Some guy in the pub just being like, oh, listen, so this is the, you know, this is the crack. Um, and it's, like, really... Yeah, they're, they're... they're, And the next thing you know, you're completely suckered in. And, like, they are... I know they can seem daunting with, like, 41 books to read, but, like... But I feel like I've been given a really good starting point. Or uh, nine starting points. In the <laughs> yeah, there are nine starting points, yeah. but you guys both recommend Weird Sisters mm-hmm. and then to move into Witches Abroad. Right? Formally, at this juncture. I don't, I don't... For me. I'm, I don't know whether Witches Abroad is... Uh, do you think Weird Sisters is too Shakes... Not not, not too Shakespeare-y, but is too overt a reference, whereas Witches Abroad... Because you can read them in any... I think at the start of Witches Abroad, he does a little bit like, you know, here's a recap. There are witches, whatever. <laughs> um, oh, I think, no, he does a really beautiful thing where he's like, um, uh, can you pass me the, the Witches Abroad? It's just underneath. From the book stack? Yeah. 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 Um, It'll turn out to not be this book, and then I will just have to give up. Um, I've always found giant fantasy series very daunting. Like I, I couldn't yeah. imagine like, reading. I've ne- I'm not no one's just reading Game of Thrones or Wheel of Time, oh, and it's like nine books. Game of Thrones, and I was so but then I was off. like, I've read like forty Discworld books and the five Long Earth books and two yeah. Johnny books and Diggers but, and Truckers. But and they didn't feel like work. No. And for me, when it comes to getting deep diving, as we were talking about yeah. earlier, off mm. off off record, deep diving uh, when it feels like I have to study this. Mm. makes me want to get sick because I yeah. hate at school I don't like being forced to learn things I don't want to learn mm. I only want to be learning by joyful accident at this point in my life yeah. except yeah. you know if, if I'm going to like ge- generally in my entertainment mm. I don't want I don't want to be informed well here's all the shit you have to know before you can have any pleasure I want the learning and the pleasure to intersect yeah. and if that doesn't happen pretty much immediately I'm out Discord words this mythology so lightly Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Good. You, I don't think you need to know much for any of them. The reason I put Weird Sisters in there first is because Sarah and Witches, mm. and yeah, my it was people. the one I reached for when he died. That's the one I read because oh. I think it, it is my it's the one I've read the most. I think. Yeah. Oh. So and it's a glorious it's a glorious read. And the, the Lanker books, the the Witches books, are very self contained. Mm. Although, like even like the thing I like about it is like you know doing a shared universe thing like long before like anyone was like talking about it is that like occasionally characters excuse me, characters will pop up from other books in each other's books and he just, he just gives you a one-line summary. Like, it's funny, like, with Vimes, who's the main character of so much. In the truth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's an awful yeah. man. I, I, Vimes is an awful man, but when you read his, when you read it from his perspective, you know how angry he is and how much he's dealing with and how he's trying to, like, and how he is a flawed character. I mean, mm. he's like, he hates vampires for no other reason than he just hates vampires. He just thinks mm. they're awful. Like, he's he's got... We yeah he has weird issues about about that kind of stuff and that's not presented as like oh what a charming quirky thing is like he's 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 got dense mm. and stuff but then you meet him from someone else's point of view and they're like what an awful yeah. terrible terrier of a man and they're really disdain- disdainful and dismissive of him and that's a real thing with Vimes like he's like um, Vimes's ancestor was the last was the guy who toppled the king of Ankh-Morpork, this big city. And um, he was stone-faced Vimes. And is wide... Even though the last king was completely bonkers, he... the This this regicidal uh, uh, ancestor is also hated. So Vimes is this huge chip in his shoulder and people call him old stone-faced and stuff. Um, and it's... 
he's presented as being just super mad at everybody and it's not presented as being like oh what a hero he's not like house or anything like that where it's like oh know, it's I'm not so... like house I'm out I'm done <laughs> I'm, I'm so done is he not be able to play <laughs> sexy Hugh Laurie no get out leave I'm done I'm leaving Hugh Laurie is Whatever. Sarah Vimes oh holy shit holy shit Sarah is he hot though oh no he's not They're oh making, silence they've had to watch in development as a TV series for the last Eight years. No, you uh, no, are. man. If I like, know. you can't. Did do you just use the Guns N' Roses album yeah. as an example? Oh if my you god. Can't, or, or the other one was like, like Velvet Revolver. If you can't get it done in five years, said Dave, knowing nothing I about it. I saw that years. live. <laughs> so weird. Yeah, you I saw, saw Velvet Revolver. Revolver. I don't know. I was like eighteen. That's a lie. Still, does a great tune. Uh, but their second album was just. Like it's like why did it take? Why did I can't it take believe that long? the Chinese democracy is a reference point now for something that shouldn't. That's that's exactly what it is. Why did that take so long? Should we do? Should we? Should we do a bit of a casting? Would that be a thing that like? Yeah. So so, so Hugh Laurie's volumes is very good. Yeah, that's which very, stage Hugh Laurie? Now Hugh. Can we oh, talk in detail? Okay, like, like, like excellent, Hulari. excellent job. Yeah. And he would be like messy. Okay, and, like, work. But like, but Vimes is a. He's not like a romantic, and, and the whole. They don't do a kind of a romance thing. Like he's he's very much when he he meets his wife and he's in love with his wife and like oh even better yeah and then, and then and they're very good they're a good Aww. couple and is not she's she's never presented as sort of the hen pet like there's there's not an element of like she's a, she's a stay at home wife but she's also the Ramkins the family are very much talked like she's like you know when when Ramkin men went off to war it was the women who defended the fort you know what I mean they're not mm. like she's not they're he talks a little bit about how the, the toughness of noble women who are like, like that kind of thing but like she knows where he needs minding and where he needs to be let off yeah and she knows his breaking points and his triggers and at one point they send someone to kill him and uh, he accidentally runs afoul of her and her pet dragons and it is unpleasant this is pet dragon lady from earlier yeah, 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 yeah. oh Sorry, it's yeah, a cool close okay okay we're yeah. now circling back in and now I kind of Sorry, know who people yeah, are no yeah. no no I'm with you Um. so okay yeah so with that thread, so there's so in that there's there's Vimes, there's Karish, who's the would be king. There's Angua who his, punched, who, pu- who stabbed with the thing. Yes, yes, yeah. yes, yes. There's uh, Angua. He is described as having having uh, muscles that move like mating footballs, um, which is really gross. <laughs> but also, I can see it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like muscles, like frogs in oil. Ooh, like, I can see it. Even, I can see there's it. There's Angua. Ang- is, would you say it like that? I say it like 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 anger, but with a a U, like Angua. Angua, yeah, yeah, Angua, yeah. Who is he? Uh, a werewolf sergeant, um, who is uh, fantastic and like definitely got like I liked when you got to meet her family and she got more to do because mm. she was a bit kind of the only she was kind of the only woman in that. Her and Cherry, yeah. Um, uh, who would we cast as Carrot? Um, Chris Hemsworth. Yes, Chris Hemsworth, big and cheery. Yeah. Very yeah. like, have you seen female Ghostbusters? Yes. Chris Hemsworth. In, well, no, That's, Chris. Yeah, smarter. Yeah. But hides, keeps the intelligence hidden. Yeah. Like, kind of a blank cheerfulness is his default thing. Okay. But, but a super blank hiding, I, like hiding like iron behind it. Mm. Yeah. Um, Angela, like somebody like. <sighs> hmm. Would need, yeah, would, like, I'm thinking like, like Emily Blunt is not, but like, like. You want somebody like like lean and slightly terrifying, and I, I don't want to just say Tatiana Slovy because I would literally cast her as everything and everything <laughs> forever. Although Tatiana Slovy, I'm gonna Google her. I don't know if she looks. She's like the main Orphan character Black. in Orphan Black. I also haven't watched Orphan Black. Orphan Black is great. Um, and then Nobby Steve Buscemi obviously has to be like <laughs> yeah. just who else? And Colon would be. Um, 
I'm reporting back. Reporting. No, I'm not. That is not the right lady. I've spelled her name wrong. <laughs> Continue. It's okay. Uh, Could it be like maybe like Jim Broadbent or oh John Goodman? John Goodman. John Goodman. Is he too big? Like too brash? Yeah, he would really feel that role. And Colin's just sort of like um, if John Candy was still alive now. Yes. Are you John impugning my men's honour, sir? They've never been puned in their lives. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, there's so many stupid jokes. Lord Veterinary would have to be. Is William Fitchner too? Um, is William Fitchner too young? Who's William Fitchner? William Fitchner is um, the bad guy in Drive Angry, which is not a reference that anybody uses. <laughs> no. um, Only him. <laughs> he's, he's in Prison Break. He's he's the bank manager at the start of The Dark Knight. Still no. That is a very specific role. He looks like a werehawk. A werehawk. He's about to like. Then that case, then, yes. kind of knows. That, okay, that's. That would work, yeah. If that, I can't yeah. picture him, but yeah, totally. Veterinary is just like he does. Pratchett does such good work on like character moments, like little small, like veterinary. Um, the, the 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 leader of the city, the patrician, um, gets kidnapped later on, and um, they manage to get him. But later on, the two, Mister Tulip and Mister Mister Poster, Mister Tulip, mm. uh, are talking about it. And it's like you know, it's like you know, oh, they neglected to mention a number of things about him, and one of them is that he moved like a snake. Like there's lots of things about like mm. veterinary use was trained by the Assassins Guild because that's where you go when you're a good family. You go and get um, like you don't go off and like kill people, although there are exams. But you like you go and get your training and everything else. And veterinary is just very tall and very slender and very like um, in guards guards these guys want to get rid of the patrician and they summon a dragon and a br- big proper dr- uh, Draganus nobilis and um, when it arrives it is selfish and terrible like all dragons and it throws veterinary in the dungeons and veterinarian Vimes get thrown in the dungeons and veterinary's just sitting there reading a book and Vimes like well we need to get out we need to do all this stuff and veterinary's like yeah mm-hmm. and he was like well, if you want there's a key behind that rock there uh, he's like never build a prison that you can't get out of and uh, he's like I've trained the rats and they start bringing him in like a doily and like tea and stuff like this and uh, Vimes is like in the middle of all this a dragon attacking the city I guess the safest place to be did you get yourself put here and he's just like and then when the dragon is like killed or whatever veterinary just like lets himself out just goes back up and is like I'm back and it's like his mind is like this like terrifying clockwork crystal mechanism like he's always nine steps ahead of everything Um, uh, such a Brilliant, and there's a scene in Nightwatch, which is the one that goes back into the past, where all of the, the only time travel novel, right? The only time travel yeah, novel. Yeah. Tifa time plays with time, but it's not time travel. It's about Who these. Says I'm not a fast learner. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> in Thief of Time, Yetis can save, it's like save their lives, save until this point. They've got save points. That's why that's Yetis can control time that way. Oh my god! It's mm. a, like that's I, super meta. <laughs> yeah, like, that's real postmodern. Oh, the books are. Oh, this meta. What year would that would that one been written in? Two thousand and okay, it's modern. So it's four, video five. games have happened since. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I because I, I looked up the timeline recently, and one of them I was quite surprised was two thousand. Um, but yeah, like Tifa Time is quite quite a late one. Um, but um, they all uh, you see all the, the the future lords of the city as teenagers in the Assassin's Guild, and they're all absolute jerks. And there's one just sitting in the corner reading, and they're like, "Oh, dogs bother, her. dogs bother, her. what are you doing? Studying like a big nerd, whatever." And one of them picks up an apple and just throws it, and um, dogs <laughs> dogs bother is like reading whatever, and just like catches it with a fork, and then brings it up here and just takes a bite. And uh, they're just like, oh, you're a real, like, freak dog's mother. And a young Lord Veterinary is like, yes, of course. Cool. And, like, he's just very, like, oh, I don't know. He's, yeah, definitely one of my top five characters. There's so mu- there's so many characters and so many little 
plot lines and little small moments and little like this is the great thing about the jumping around with POV is that like you'll be in somebody's head and then and you'll, you'll give lots of like the minor characters like their own little like hero not even hero moments but their own little human moments where all the time when they die and they meet death and they're like what's going on um, but like yeah they're just the most it's a, it's, a, it's a line from Doctor Who that they give to Shakespeare and like I guess fair enough but like the most human human I've ever met is that oh. is that what I think about Pratchett like the books are so like he's very I read a Brandon Sanderson article earlier where he's like Pratchett is Shakespeare basically like for the masses but incredibly lyrical incredibly beautiful very very human um, critical, jumps, of, critical of the world critical of the world uh, critical of systems um, yeah like he's he's modern day he's modern day Shakespeare like there's no better snapshot for our world and what we think now than like Pratchett really I think Ooh. so I basically compared to like Joyce and Shakespeare there's going to be yeah. a crowd of like lanky gobshites outside the door being like but also there's like in moving pictures which I again I just want to get in certain moments with the whole mar- parody and meta stuff yeah. where moving pictures the climax of that is a giant woman climbing a building holding a monkey and it's about cinema and it's all cinematic parodies and ends with a flip King Kong Yeah, is the big finale of it so he does like Super, super smart. I don't remember. I never laughed at the puns when I was small. Yeah, it was always like proper dialogue and jokes and situations. But now there's like there's all that as well. Yeah, um, and then these huge set pieces that he does that are just so many. Like there's a, ver- a very late one called Snuff, which I think is the best late period one. Okay, it's a it's a rural murder mystery with vimes and uh, goblins. It's all yeah, I've read, it, I've read it once. Yeah, and it ends with a like a riverboat log chase. Described perfectly. Yeah. And it's super action filled. And again, he's introduced this new race that are an underclass. So again, it's about class and servants and servitude and and it's a murder mystery set in the Cotswolds, like basically this girl Cotswolds. Yeah. And this is like the third last book he wrote. He was still doing new things and finding new places. Yeah. With Vimes Vimes he pushed out in so many directions because Vimes was the kind of the moral centre of this world, I think. Mm. So and like because so many many of his books were about the world changing he would find a new piece of technology and bring it to the world so like an actual proper postal service or paper money or like and this is like the greatest con that that con man from Going Postal pulled off was making people think that stamps are money oh, oh, oh and he's like shit. people are collecting stamps but it's just bits of paper we want to put a picture on it's like yeah but they're worth a dollar so they're a dollar and suddenly this becomes a huge big uh, but yeah he bounces between those big and like yeah with, with Snuff that was like I always felt it was a little bit like a Sherlock Holmes retirement style thing when it yeah. goes off to the country and stuff mm. and Ag Morpork is really the heart of the the heart of the world with all this like yeah you know, all the change happens in, in Ag Morpork um, which is a city where like the river is so polluted that like um, it catches fire every every summer or like people get thrown into the river or onto the river um, <laughs> and like I always think of the um and this is like, I know you're okay with spoilers, so I'm gonna, there's a little bit from the end of Witches Abroad where there's like a... a do you mind? Oh, no, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. So Granny Weatherwax um, is, not goes up against, but is adjacent to the the local witch of this. They go to like New Orleans, basically, or their version of New Orleans. And there's a, a local witch there who works with like voodoo and things like that. And um, she wants things to end a certain way. And Granny's like, well, that's not going to happen. I'm going to do this way. And she like pulls out a little Granny doll and she just starts like stabbing it and you see Granny like wince and grab her leg and she grabs her other leg and then she grabs her chest whatever and uh, then she's like I'm sorry but we're not doing it this way jams her hand in the fire and the whole doll explodes and you're just like oh it's so so good and he does very small simple like he's really good at writing like balls out action and stuff but like Mm. just those little moments where it's like I just spun that whole thing on you and it's just like 
he's just great. He's I feel like I could learn a lot about storytelling from him. Perfect command. It's almost, it feels like storytelling more so than writing because there isn't a word wasted. Everything has a payoff oh, love, and a hook. I love brevity. Yeah. A little bit of brevity like, you know. While still feeling very like all over the place. But it's all aiming at, it's all aiming at a, it's a single point or it's, there's a lesson. Like the start of Small Gods is, so eagles occasionally pick up tortoises and fly them up in the air and drop them. Um, because that's how they break open the shells and eat the food or eat the, the turtle um, and sorry <laughs> you're sorry food. turtles <laughs> you're yeah, this is who you are um, and it's this really kind of like it's like why are we talking about this type thing at this, and all of his books are like that they're always kind of like here's just a random idea about a thing and he's like you know but the way that like you know evolution works and that someday a tortoise will learn how to fly and at the end of Small Gods when um Vorbis, this evil inquisitor, has Brutha, the the one believer, strapped to a giant iron tortoise and is about to burn him alive. Oh no, beat him to an inch of his life and then burn him the rest of the way. Um, um the tiny tortoise is like trying to get there to like uh, stop him, and an eagle picks him up, and um, uh, he like <laughs> manages to like he ro- like he, they're like two or three hundred feet up, and he manages to like um, grab a particular bit of the eagle. And uh, that's not a spoiler because it's on the cover. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and it's like you know when you um, uh, when you grab someone's when you grab someone's true attention, their hearts and minds will follow. So he just basically directs the eagle and then like lets go and the eagle drops them. And Vorbis, who's like spent his whole life trying to stamp out this this turtle cult because they believe the world is round, not that it's a on a on a tortoise, whatever. On a disc, on an elephant, on a tortoise. Mm. Yeah. So um, and that's why he strapped Brother to this giant tortoise. And then he hears a whistling noise, and he looks up. It's the tortoise. And it's like, and it's like, oh, that's why you were doing so much. Of books like, oh, that's uh, mm, that's clever. a great feeling, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, oh, that's why unity, so much unity. <laughs> um, yeah. Oh, he's just great. Uh, I remember the, the day that I found out that he died. Um, I was in Fibbers uh, <laughs> with my housemate, and um, uh, and I was going to say tell this great story. My housemate doesn't like fantasy at all, and I gave her weird sisters, and she told me she really liked it. And then just before I left the house, I was like, "Hey, so I'm going to mention the fact that you really like weird sisters." Like, oh yeah, I didn't read it. <laughs> I was like, oh, no. <laughs> but I had a good podcast story. Oh god damn it! But um, I was in February with her, and uh, she's no time for fantasy or anything like that. And the girl I was going out with at the time uh, was finishing her PhD, and she was very stressed, and she. Um, one of her friends put up a Facebook post saying just going to cry and hug my Terry Pratchett books for the rest of the day and my ex thought it was about because they were both doing their PhD so she thought it was a PhD thing and she sent me a screenshot and was like oh like you know my poor friend and I was like did Terry Pratchett die? and she was like oh no I'm so sorry and I just burst into tears and like my housemate is so emotionally like reserved and she was like what is and I was like my favourite writer just died and she was like and you could see her her like natural disdain for emotion warring with like actual sympathy. She's like, all right, get, I'll get you a drink. <laughs> I was like, sat there. I was really just like, because I would have loved to have like, like hung out with him. I know it's a really stupid basic thing to say, but like, and I know that every single other Terry Pratchett fan in the world would have loved to hang out with him, but like I would have really liked to hang out with him. That's all. That's, that's all. Well, like, every time you crack a spine, you will. Yeah. And you'll never have to experience any sort of disappointment. Isn't that... I always feel that about meeting our heroes in that, especially writers, that we don't have to meet them because we've met them yeah. and we can meet them every time we pick up a book. And it's the way they would have wanted to meet a complete stranger because that's it's what the writing you, is. It's, it's the, yes, it's the way you want to be, it's the, way, it's the conversation you want to have with the world. Yeah. That's what we get. And maybe we don't get anything else. And that's enough. Yeah, like I think like, I'm not very good at meeting 
people that I admire. So, uh, except for you guys. Um, but I nearly met John Waters once at work and oh I, did, I did skip the day. I was like, I can't, I don't know, I can't. I'm just going to shout congratulations at him and leave. Like, I have no idea what to say to him. And I that's perfect. Though. Like, that's what is the context in which that I would have an adult conversation with him where I wouldn't lose my shit? Yeah. Do you know? Like, the gift that these makers have given us is the work. Yeah. You know? And I, but I know that's sad. This is why I never go up to like, I rarely go to like, book signings or things like that because I just I feel I'd be annoying them or I feel I'd be saying something that everyone else everyone says else and that's said, like, wrong I went to that. hear Jennifer Egan speak last week and a visit from the Goon Squad changed my life it also changed everybody else who fucking read, read its lives yeah. because that's why it's won the Pulitzer yeah, you yeah, know yeah. I'm th- again deeply basic and the signing line was huge and I was like I'm good I'm good I actually yeah. I, I'm good I'm just gonna leave because mm. I well I will go up to her and I will take a look at her hands as I always do with the writers where I'm like, oh, you wrote the thing that I love. Yeah. And then I will say the thing that she has heard a million times and it will be water off the duck's back. Yeah. But it's okay because that copy of that book belongs to me. And yeah. I can go and have that experience for me. This is the part, this is the thing where it belongs to you, right? Yeah. That it's mm. yours. It's yours. It doesn't belong to anybody else, that experience of that reading. It belongs to you. And that's the thing. That's... That's yeah. it really, isn't it? Like that's the gift is that intimacy. Yeah. Like what Pratchett means to me is different than what it means to you. But I mean, like, there's, there seem to be a lot of similarities. But it's probably different too. But like coming across him as like a, a 14 year and the salacious nature of talking about atheism and, and talking about like uh, breaking down like yeah the idea of breaking down like 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 religions and like the idea that gods need us was a really powerful thing to me as a teenager and the way that like and finding out you can shape your own world and it wasn't something I could do at that time but it's always kind of stuck with me and I do feel a responsibility from reading a stuff that like I I'm in a situation and a, and a body and a life where I have more power and more privilege than other people and like I just think about what like Esme Weatherwax would do or what um uh, what carrot would do, and it's, it sounds really like cliche or whatever, but that's that. Like, there's if it's a, if there's a Bible, I live my life by. It's it's this where it's like you know, look around, see who's not talking, help those people talk, or like, and I don't not to say that I'm perfect or whatever. And it's, I do think he's a starting point, and I I try and like learn more or whatever. But like, the bedrock of it was him. Mm. Um, there's a bit in Lords and Ladies. Sorry, I mean, this is one of my other favorite bits. It's a bit in La- Lords and Ladies where. So the so Granny Weatherwax meets a wizard who, as a teenager, used to meet up with her, or used to like summer in the place where she's from, and so they meet up again. And she's just trying to wrap her head around, or he's trying to wrap his head around. One of the witches come up with like different dimensions, or has like realized you know the whole like practicals of the trousers of time, where like there are loads of different dimensions, each one is exactly like this, except a different decision was made. You know, that kind of like sliders, basically. Um, so uh, he, she's been having all these, like, because there's a weird dimensional thing going on in, in, in where they're from. She's been hearing all these other uh, Granny Weatherwaxes in her head. And it's been really confusing her and throwing her off. And he meets, she meets him, Ridcurly, at this dinner. And they haven't seen each other in like 40 years. And he walks up to her and he's like, oh my God, it's you. And she's like, what are you doing here? Because <laughs> that's Granny. And he's like, hang on, hang on. Okay, I can do this. Why were you like, 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 like five nine? Where about like ninety pounds? And she's like, she's like, why? And he goes, let me take you away from all this, and snaps his fingers and manages to, to teleport them, um, like you know, ten miles down the road to like a, the place where they first met. And she's like, why did you do that? And he's like, sorry, I just give me a second. And like, he's trying to like get his breath back because he hasn't done magic like that in ages. And like the the idea that like it re- one of the real things that drives home in this is that like you can't. Power always has an effect and power always has like a, um, 
a cost and always which is definitely like a thing that's stolen from my books or whatever but like no there are no quick fixes in Pratchett and like he talks about revolutions and how revolutions always come around again and even they don't solve everything there's no there are no real quick endings just slightly new beginnings and stuff and like that's what I like because it was it's so messy in Pratchett's books like it's so like you know have all these great intentions but like it doesn't actually you're you're really just trying to move a ship as big as the world you know what I mean it's not like there's no real like they get nice moments at the ends of their books but it's very rare that there's an actual like fairy tale there are no fairy tale endings basically um, and stuff which like I think is very important to remember as well but yeah I just I, this is why I made notes for myself I do this thing especially like when in job interviews I haven't done a job interview in a while but like um, good because this is one yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and you're not wearing pants <laughs> <laughs> but it's said it on the sheet anyway, um, but I do this thing where um, you, they ask you what your good qualities are and I have three but I make it sound like I have four so I go well I'm this and I'm this and I'm this and uh, yeah <laughs> And like, Fourth work. So I yes, yeah, so I finish every single like you know I'll come up with like what is possibly a, like a good thought about Pratchett, and then I'll finish it by just going, um, yeah. So underscore, no. it's an underscore. That's the crack, yeah, yeah. Really. yeah, it's underscore. Those are my thoughts on that issue. Um, I started going out with my wife when I was sixteen and she was fifteen. Oh wow! And the first time I went up to her bedroom, like in a chased open doorway. She also had Terry Pratchett books, and they were the first other Terry Pratchett books I'd ever seen. Oh my god! Oh, you knew, you yeah. knew. That's actually her weird sisters. Oh yeah, my god! Then I have to give it back. Yeah. Oh. That's, Car- that's Carol. Oh my god. Yeah. Oh my god. So that's a fairy tale. It's in really good condition. She keeps her stuff really well. My weird sisters is in. I tatters. promise I won't destroy it. I destroy Compared books. The Men at Arms. <laughs> oh my, my god! Much love. It looks like yeah. it's been in the sun. Like but it's, it's been definitely in been yeah. had. Like there's a crack. I destroy books. That's stunning. Mm. That's a beautiful thing. I get my copy of Weird Sisters was the first. I think it was probably the first Pratchett book that I owned, um, and I gave my copy to to my girlfriend um, because I was like, "This is like the first. This is the first Pratchett book I owned, and it wasn't like signed or anything. It was like literally coming apart." Mm. And she was like, "Oh, this is very important." And I was like, "It is." But um, yeah, I just. He's just so great. And like the thing, even just little things like, you know, like the font change for Death's voice mm-hmm. and like the... Yeah, there's some there's some metallics in the page I'm looking at. I also just came across a really nice paragraph. Hit us up. Uh, she turned and walked to the wash, wash house's window, a dusty spiderweb graveyard of faded butterfly wings and last summer's blue bottles. A faint glow beyond the frosted panes suggested that against all reason, a new day would soon dawn. Yeah, that's very pretty. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sold. What might be called the classical witch comes in two basic varieties: the complicated and the simple, or to put it another way, the ones that have a room full of regalia and the ones who don't. Margaret was by inclination one of the former sort. For example, take magical knives. She had a complete collection of magical knives, all with the appropriate coloured handles and complicated runes all over them. It had taken many years under the tutelage of Granny Weatherwax for Margaret to learn that the common kitchen bread knife was better than the most ornate of magic knives. It could do all the magical knife could do, plus you could use it to cut bread. Every established kitchen had one ancient knife, its handle worn thin, its blade curved like a banana, and so inexplicably sharp that reaching into the drawer at night is like bobbing for apples in a piranha tank. Just so, just so lovely. So much, but also exactly enough. Yeah, there's no, there's no florid, um... He's so confident that he knows that, like, I've just given you that description there. I don't need to say anything more about it. And, like, you go, no, you don't need to. That's fine. Um, it, there are very rare... It's funny, like, I... 
when I, when you start writing, you um you know you're you're a cover band, and I tried writing like uh like Neil Gaiman. I tried writing like uh, my maker M Tugwell. Uh, I never tried writing like Pratchett. Never because I was just like there's no I can't like there's no. I have a Lev Grossman draft of Sparing Vampires. Oh, can I read that? No, I think you might have had to at some point. I think you might have. <laughs> so I went through and took out all the adverbs. But um, that, I mean, a very, I was a very poor impersonator of Lev Grossman, mm. who is stunning. But uh, yeah, no, you're, you're, you're totally like putting on a wig and kind of taking the catwalk as somebody else, you know? Mm. Like, it's, it's... That's how you learn. Yeah. You strip bits out and you like take the bits that like you... The take, you take the bits that work and you leave the bits that don't. And like, in my like best, 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 best moments. I could never hope to like scratch the firmament that is, this is Terry Pratchett. But occasionally you write a line and you just know it's the, it's, it's enough. It's the enough line. It's got line. the tenor. It's um, got the tone. And I think the one from, because uh, Nights of the Bar Dark is the first thing I ever wrote in my own, in my own voice. Apparently it just sounds like I'm talking to you for better or worse. It does, yeah. Uh, it really does. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, that's good. <laughs> um, but there's a line in it in the first chapter where, which is what, because I get asked a lot when I'm doing events, um, what's your favourite line? And uh, my favourite line in the first one is, uh, good morning, he said, although he didn't mean it and I wasn't. And that's, that's, I think, the closest I've ever come to that kind of like cavalier, like, I don't need to say anything more than this. It's very like, yeah, it's just it's storytelling it, as well as writing. It tells you more than it's saying. It yeah. tells you more than it's saying. Yeah, is what that line does because it tells you something about Ackerby. Yeah, yeah, uh, and it tells you something about the day. Yeah, and it tells you something about everybody's humor and the environment that they're in. It tells you more than just the sen- just the sentence that's in front of you. It, it's it, just it, a snapshot. It's just like this is this is the day or whatever. So and like you fuck a rock in a pool and then all the ripples come out of it. Yeah, that's what that sentence is. And you could live and die. You could just like roll over. Pratchett stuff and like dissect every single line and like even just like like I can't envision my books are like half one POV and half another POV like there is probably a, what like a hundred different points of view in this oh, we'll pop off yeah. to like there's an interlude where the death is trying to convince a swan to sing because that's swans they have to sing before they die and the swan is like no I'm not doing it man I know how it works I'm not doing my swan song and he's like why don't you just do like you oh know, same hon how, how does that song and death's like you know how does that song go and uh, the swan is like no no it goes like this la 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 ah oh, damn it, do all it animals, okay so there are any rules do all animals talk or just swans, or just this one to death. To death. Yeah. Oh, everyone yeah, talks everyone to death. Talks yeah. to death. Oh, okay, okay. There is a dog called Gaspo the Wonder Dog who talks, and and like and like he meets all these other characters, and like like there'll be dogs, and, and they'll find the dog there, and the dog's like woof, and it's only hours later they realize that dog didn't woof, it said woof. Oh. <laughs> and then like and it's and he's a joke character for so long until I just found a little bit of men in arms there. there. It's his big moment, yeah. Yeah, where they threaten yeah. um they threaten he's like, No, you have to tell me and it's like, Yeah, yeah, threaten me. You know, I like like I was like thrown in a um I was like wrapped up like my first memory is being wrapped up in a sack with a brick and thrown into the river. Well, onto the river. I had to walk to shore. Uh for two weeks I thought the brick was my mother. So, you know, threaten me. <laughs> Onto like, the river, like because it was the, it was so the river. Yeah. The, oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, see, this is all coming together now. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, it's just so many little human moments. Even like the, the the trolls, like trolls are generally joke characters or like villains in any in every like uh, fantasy thing. And trolls, the only reason trolls are stupid is because trolls are made of rock and they are they're made of silica, which means when they come down to the lowlands where it's quite warm, they get stupider. Uh, and there's a bit Poor where. 
detritus, 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 detritus. detritus. Um, uh, they go into this like meat. It's a pork futures factory where you. I can't even explain the pork futures factory. It's a place where pork is going to exist at some point in the future. Yeah. So they're selling it now. <laughs> what? That's Kickstarter, right? Pretty much. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's pretty much Kickstarter. Okay, yeah. so they got a Kickstarter. Yeah, they got a Kickstarter, cold Kickstarter, and they're walking around. And um, uh, Detritus' De- De- partner uh, is like, "Oh, you know where we're going to go?" And Detritus is like, "Well, I think we should go in here and do this." And it's like, "You're speaking a lot less monosyllabically." And he's like, "Yes, I think the cold, uh, the cold weather is, uh, is is doing this to my brain." And I think, and, he, and his brain gets getting smarter and smarter and smarter and smarter. And then they're like, "Oh, we have to go outside now." And he's like. Oh well, <laughs> just one side again. What happens before that is they get trapped in there. Oh, sorry. And yeah. as he gets colder and colder, and they get closer to death because it's so cold in there, he gets super intelligent, and starts writing these equations on the wall, and he gets to equals, and then they get rescued, and he gets smarter again, and he just goes, I don't know, I can't remember what that was. And they open the door, and all the he's because he's writing in the frost. Yeah, so the frost melts. Oh. That's a that's a that's a page long scene. Yeah, it's just an that's aside. That's only one. That's just an aside. That's just an aside. That's just in the middle of this gun murder mystery. It's just oh, that lads. happens. I know. What I, that's like, my that's my November the, December sus now. In a golem murder mystery where golems have a chat like a, a little like a piece of paper in their head that gives them orders and have to control things forever, and so the book is about the emancipation of golems, and um, a golem one of the one of the characters buys this golem and opens his head, takes out the chat, and puts in his receipt. And the golem is like, and they're all kind of like, because golems are gigantic, like 10 foot tall, like stone monsters. And the golem is like, okay. And it's like, what are you going to do? And it's like, and like golems are the kind of, golems are creatures that you send into the places where everyone's going to die. Or you send them into like, you know, uh, like the coal mines, like really awful job because they don't breathe. They're not, they're not alive, all this kind of stuff, whatever. And um, when they free this golem, the golem's like, uh, they're like, what are you going to do? Are you going to like take revenge? He's like, no, no, I'm going to go back to work. And it's like, really? He's like, yeah, I'm going to save up. And then I'm going to buy that golem and I'm going to give them back to themselves. Then we're going to work and we're going to save them. And it's just, uh, it's just so, and then you find out that like, because Pratchett was really into computers. I don't know enough about, I was reading on it today, but I don't know enough to speak about it. He was very fascinated by them and there's lots mm. of stuff with hex and yeah. the wizards get real scientific and stuff by the end. But one of the ways that, that golems have been like quietly rebelling against is that like you ask a golem to like start digging holes. If you don't tell that golem to stop, it'll never stop digging that hole. So you end up with a hole to like China or whatever, the, or Agatha or whatever the, the, the Pratchett equivalent is. And like, you find that that's them, that's the only way they were able to rebel. It's like doing, it's just like, okay, we're just going to, if you treat us like, like like animals and dumb beasts, we're just going to do that. And like, and that's very much tied into like, like I think that was a little bit of his computer theory as well, is that like, you know, mm-hmm. computers are like, like the, my my cousin who I met when I was like like eight or nine or whatever is like a real like computer tech guy and he was like imagine computers as like very dumb servants and they can only do a certain thing and if you mess up your your explanation for what to do they'll just mess it up and I like that he like sort of weaponized that and gave it to the golems as like a tiny form of resistance mm. um yeah they're uh and like yeah they're they're just they're just great then when they when they build an actual computer in the university it like throws up these weird errors all the time like an out of cheese error and then you give it cheese and it works and they're like why does it need cheese and we're like we don't know. We only know if you take away the cheese, it stops working. Computers. That's it. Yeah. yeah. Fair. Yeah. Um, there's a bit in Going Postal where there's a... Because all these postmen start offering to, to join the postal service. And um, one of them is this... The oldest golem they've ever met. He's called like Angmarad. And he's got a metal box fused to his arm with a message in it. And Angmarad is like, you know, I, I am a... I want to deliver messages. And they're like, cool, you're a postman, put a hat in them. And it turns out Angrad was asked to deliver a message from one civilization to another. And the civilization, before he'd get there, 
drowned like the whole like Atlantis style just like fell oh. under the sea and so he's never been able to deliver this message and there's a point where um, Ang Rad is so there's a fire in the postal house and uh, the whole place collapses and they pour water on it and this all this big, huge massive like tidal wave of boiling water hits Ang Rad and shatters him because he's made of clay and when he like when the, the the desert comes down and he's there with death, death is like, okay, well, you know, you've you've you know, you've been you've had a good run, like five or six thousand years. Um, like, do you want to like go on to your next place? It's like, no. It's like, what are you gonna do? It's like, I'm just gonna stay here. It's like, and do nothing. It's like, yes, it's perfect. And like this like messenger who never got to do, he's just gonna sit there forever. It's like, ah, oh, he's so good, God. I think that's a good place to leave it. Yes, <laughs> as we all. Let's as do, the desert comes down. Let's do some plugs. Dave, oh. what do you want to plug? I would like to plug. Is this when is this going out? Thursday. Like Thursday morning. Yeah, yeah, it'll be out like six a.m. Thursday. We're coming morning. up on midnight oh. on Tuesday. Oh, oh my god! <laughs> I have to drive back to Waterford. Okay. Oh. <laughs> I'm so plugs, sorry. plugs, plugs, um, plugs. Uh, so plugs. Uh, I would like to plug the fact that uh, my second novel, the fr- so I write Knights of the Borrowed Dark. That's my series. It's for like eleven to fourteen year olds, very stressed teenager from Mayo trying to save the world while also slowly turning to iron. He numbers his friends. He's really stressed. Uh, and the second book, The Forever Court, is up for an Irish Book Award. Uh, voting closes on Thursday at twelve at midnight day so if you enjoyed this you'd probably enjoy the book you can throw us a vote if you want uh, it's probably really terrible to say that I don't know whatever <laughs> I don't care no walk your bliss stand behind yeah. your work whatever <laughs> uh, you could you could re- once you hear this you could buy it really quickly and read it or get the audiobook, which I also do uh, anyway um, what else um, I'm also a voice on a podcast called Down Below the Reservoir with Sarah Maria Griffin Hi. which is Ireland's only fiction horror podcast uh, it is Black Mirror meets The Butcher Boy it's really upsetting mm-hmm. but we have a new episode coming next Monday wherein I play a sexy crab click click yes. click click, click. <laughs> it is yeah it's 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 a lot of fun uh, very it's very it's sort of like Podge and Raj but like uh, like like re, like the Podge and Raj without but like, like real sincere but real sincere yeah, yeah. Um, those are the things that I would like to plug oh also if you happen to be a, a teacher or an organiser of events you can uh, or a librarian um, you can get me on daverodden.com where there's like teaching resources for my book and there's also like news how you can or details on how you can contact me for like gigs and things like that thank you Sarah what do you got hi do you want to plug in uh Oh man, um, my novel's pre, coming out, yeah, I guess plug. now, that's yeah. happening. Woo-woo. Uh, woo-woo. Um, for a long time my book was out in America and not out here, which is like telling people that you have a girlfriend in the Gwail Talk <laughs> and she's really pretty, but you don't have any photos of her. Uh, you promise she's real. Um, but yeah, my book came out in the States in 2016, but it is landing in Ireland, the UK and Australia uh, mm. in February. Amazing. I know, it's crazy. In February next year, February 6th, so... Uh, the book's called Spare and Vampires. Give it a pre-order if you like. It's a queer retelling of Frankenstein, kind of, also not. It's a book about the body and religion and computers and Ireland exactly 100 years from today. So uh, it's super, super weird. I should probably get better at saying what it's about. It's a banger. It's, it's so good. <laughs> it's, it's a great book that you should read. Thank there's you, Daft Punk. There's, a lo- there's <laughs> Daft Punk and Raves. There's a lot of things happening in it. It's, uh, it's Dave my, is in it. Uh, Dave is technically in it somewhere. Yeah. Uh, it's like if Galway plus Ex Machina plus Daft Punk plus... It's kind of been like, I guess I can see where Ex Machina... Yeah, I feel that. Yeah, okay. But so like it's Ex Machina. better Ex Machina. Ex Machina in Galway. Ex Machina was a lovely bedtime story told to you by Oscar, Oscar Isaacs as he like stroked your forehead. We're, okay, that's a great selling point. Can we use that <laughs> one? Yeah, so it's it's ex machina as if it was told to you by Oscar Isaac while he stroked your forehead. You should buy it when it comes out in February. Uh, my Twitter is at Grifsky. 
There we go. Oh, I've, my, I've, oh go on. No, you tell yours. Sorry. No, I <laughs> didn't interrupt you there by telling you how good you're. Yeah. Uh, my Twitter is also uh, day, or D underscore Rudden Rights. Or you can just look for Dave Rudden. And you all should follow Alan on Twitter as yeah. well. He's really, really funny. He's probably the only reason that an Irish person should still be on Twitter anyway at this juncture. <laughs> it's just a hell matrix. So Soul redemption of Irish Twitter. Yeah. I actually have something to plug for once. I've never <gasps> had it. something before. So, uh, November 30th, that's next Thursday, if you're in Waterford or within driving distance of Waterford, uh, my new stand-up night, Boxworks Comedy, we're on our second night and we have Davey Riley and Hannah Mamelis and I'll be emceeing and talking a bit. And it's fun. And also we have a new uh, podcast on the Head Stuff Podcast Network called Roast Chestnuts with me and Gene Sutton where we review made-for-TV Christmas movies. So it's nearly December, so it's almost okay to start listening to those. There'll be like four or five by the time you're ready for it, but they're there. When you're ready, they'll be there. So there, do you have anything else? Um, No, I think... It's been a a good two hours. It's been a really good hustle. Is this our longest run? I think we're close. Lisa Cole might have been beaten. Oh, Lisa! Uh, read Mort and read Mort and Weird Sisters and they're the places to start yeah Yeah. and when you're real hooked you can go back and deal with colour and magic which is just good but messier just hit me and Dave up we'll give you the pats yeah bye everybody bye Good night. HPN, the Headstuff Podcast Network. See headstuff.org for more details.